Welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. I'm Jay Late Night Larson. And I'm Lyndon Chalky Cabellion. In each episode, we will be talking to different surfers and surf shops to learn more about them and their passion for surfing. We will be diving deep into their experiences as well as their involvement and contributions to their local communities. Be sure to check out our website and Instagram feed for updates on future shows. Thank you for your support and we look forward to sharing these great stories with you. And now a word from our sponsors. Yes, we got sponsors. First up, Foo Wax. The best wax in the game. This stuff is so sticky and grippy, you'll never slip off your stick again. Ever. Ever. Again. So go to your local surf shop. And, and make sure they carry it. And if they don't, demand it. Demand it. You'll be stoked. Try it out. Our next sponsor, Bonsai Bowls. Oh. I know a lot of our listeners have, have had one of these. And if they haven't, they're going to now. They're missing out. They're missing out. It's a healthy, delicious, amazing, fresh acai bowl with tons of fruit and organic like ingredients. They've got five locations in Southern California. From Huntington to San Clemente and all in between. Two in Hawaii. Two in Hawaii for that, those on the North Shore. And, um, you know, come support these guys. They have amazing Asahi bowls and they support the West Coast board riders and a lot of the surf events up and down the coast. And they've made it a lot easier With, to get them. They've got their own app now. That's right. Go to your app store and download Bonsai Bowl app and you can pre-order, pre-pay and just go pick up. Cut cut through the line. And for our listeners of the Late Night with Chalky podcast, you're going to get 15 off your next bowl. A 15% discount off yes. Bonsai Bowls. That's insane. Um, so make sure to mention the Late Night with Chalky podcast and you get 15% off That's at right. Bonsai Bowls. And one of our other favorite restaurants, oh, Caliente, Caliente OC. Caliente Southwest.com. They offer healthy Mexican style food with local uh, organic ingredients. Family owned. Family owned. Their phone number is 949-515-0909. And our listeners get 15% off there as well. Yeah. So mention Late Night with Chalky Podcast and get 15% off at Caliente OC. And both these guys are great at catering events. So you could use them for a shop event, corporate event, birthday event, wedding, all of the above. They love to party. And last but not least, we are super stoked to welcome Olo Clip as a new sponsor of the Late Night with Chalky podcast. What is Oloclip? Uh, they make the original mobile lens system for your phone. So these can make clips that hold the lenses, the cases that are designed to make it really easy to get the clip on the phone. So check them out at oloclip.com. And for all the Late Night with Chalky podcast listeners, they get 10% off. That's, that's huge. Huge. So at checkout, the code is SURF10, that's S-U-R-F, the number 10, and you get 10% off Oloclip. And you guys got to check check out our Instagram. We're going to be posting pictures with these wide, in, wide lens uh, angles, uh, fish eye, all kinds of cool like photo options with your phone. And for you uh, rich dudes out there, like late night, they do make cl- uh, <laughs> lenses for iPhone 11s. What? What? Epic. Thank you, sponsors. Thank you. Friends and family, brothers and sisters, welcome to the Late Night with Chalky podcast. Yeah, welcome. We got an epic guest this week, um, kind of the jack of all trades in the industry. He's uh, 
damn good looking. Yeah, whoa. He's, Ladies uh, beware. He's worked at a couple. He's single. He's worked at a couple <laughs> of magazines. Uh, Waves in Australia. Surfing mag here in the U.S. Uh, he was a president at Insight, cool, you know, fashion boutique surf brand, and the WSL media director commentator. Come on, what's up? What else is on this list? Consultant, uh, industry consultant. He's done everything. He's done surf lessons. Still does, maybe. Yes. And now he's at MF Surfboards, soft tops, soft boards. As in, who's MF? Mick Fanning, oh, three-time shit. world okay. champ, dude. Uh, welcome, Jesse Fain. Huge intro right there, buddy. We got, we got a lot to talk about. Awesome. Excited to be here, guys. Yeah, thanks for uh, making it's the It's from... looking at this list you have down here of all my life's info. Wow, yeah. I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> to paint Se- You're seasoned. Yeah. Yeah. Vintage. Yeah. <laughs> so, originally from? Australia. Okay. Yeah. And now you live in? I'm up in Topanga Canyon. Nice, nice. Yeah, LA. LA. Yes, dude. In the hood. Late night. Yeah. Classic. I remember you when you were late night. Now, I was. This now, is authentic late night if we're doing a morning podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I tried to rebrand myself. Happy hour, Lar. That you wouldn't know? work with us. But it, it didn't work. Because I like to party all day and, and go to bed at sunset. <laughs> all right. Well, this show's not about late night. This show is about Jesse motherfucking fame. It's always about me too, though. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the podcast. Let's start at the beginning. Tell us uh, how you got into surfing. Um, well, we moved to Narrabeen when I was just when I turned 10. We were living, I actually grew up in San Francisco, believe it or not. Like, what? Yeah, I was born in Queensland, but my mom is from Palo Alto. So we moved to San Francisco, I think when I was like two months old. She just was like, obviously wanted to be around her parents. And I lived in the city in the Mission District till I was seven. We moved back to Australia just on a vacation, honestly. My dad, the day we landed back in Australia, got offered a job working at a TV station as a carpenter at the ABC. And that holiday led to family relocating and they've been in Australia ever since. But, wow, um, how lucky are you? So you were born in Australia, then they moved to San Francisco and yep. then they moved back. Back to Australia when I was seven, but we didn't move back we didn't move to the beach till I was just about 10 and we moved to Narrabeen and I was like a couple blocks from the beach and I would see Nathan Webster. He was already sponsored back then before. Of course I, he was. Yeah. yeah. And I remember like going to the beach. I lived like two blocks from noodles and going down there and he'd like walking down with like a board with stickers on already. And I didn't even know what surfing was at this point, basically, crazy. but just, so you got it pretty late. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I didn't stop surfing till I was ten. That's but, pretty um, normal. But normal back yeah. then. Now that's kind of late. Like for my, rippers like you guys, that's yeah. kind of late. But but where he grew up in, in Narrabeen, like there there's so many good waves, and it's such a like rich surf culture like area. Yeah. It's killer. Yeah, so I mean the the surfing level at Narrabeen was ridiculous. Like yeah. world champions every day. Like everyone in the lineup was could be winning events yeah. around the world. So take us back. Uh, when, when you first started surfing and seeing who, like you mentioned Nathan Webster, isn't Aki from there too? And no, Aki's, okay. he was from Cronulla down okay. south of Sydney and then he's been up on the Gold Coast forever. But <laughs> Narrabeen, oh yeah, like Terry Fitzgerald, Mark yeah. Warren, Greg Anderson. Okay, it's time to commit. 
2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Simon Anderson, um, yeah, Damien Hardman, then the Bannister brothers, the Kalper brothers, like the Kidman yeah. brothers, Chris Davidson... I mean, the list goes on. I, I couldn't even name the grommets from today there, but they're like probably the next guys on the QS. Like yeah. it's just never ending kind of revolving door of just talented surfers. So much competitive nature in the water. So you were 10. Um, what, what board do you remember your first surfboard? I do. My dad was working on a movie and he's worked in the film industry my whole life. And he brought home this blue single fin with a wood fin. I have a photo with me with it. And I remember like I got this board and I was so stoked and scared. Like I'd gone boogie boarding a few times and like I loved being in the water, but I just I'd never tried surfing. There was no like coaches or surf schools or stuff like that back then. So I remember he brought this board back and... How big was it? I'd say it was about six maybe six four like it's hard to say way too big way too big probably <laughs> but i could just carry it and i remember going down at narrabeen and being so scared to try to paddle this thing out like sure i was going to get smashed by it but I, I made it out i can remember sitting on the board being so proud that i'd like paddled out by myself there was no one around and absolutely terrified at the idea of trying to catch a wave and i pretty much paddled in i think because I don't remember standing up or catching away, but I got back on the beach and I was survived and I sat down and I was like, you know, like you kiss the tarmac after an airplane, right? When you're just like so nervous, but you survived. It was kind of like that. And then I don't remember ever surfing that board where I actually got up and my dad got me another board, which was this. So you off. never stood up on that board? You don't I don't think it. so. I don't remember it. That's crazy. But I think pretty much... You paddled much, out, you got on it. Yeah, I got a taste. Belly boat, some white water in. I must have at least yeah. laid down on it. But my dad got me this other board that was more like a knee board, but with a single fin, this big orange white. It was probably... It's kind of like a board I ride these days happily, like a fish <laughs> style board. Yeah. Shorter, but wider Stable, and thicker. Thin. And that's what I got surfing on. And it was so big, I couldn't carry it. So my dad had to build me like this <laughs> wheel rack that I could put the tail in and hold the nose and walk down the street because like, it was awesome. so wide. Yeah. So you were a hipster surfer way back then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was hooked from day one. Like as scared as I was that first time, I, I just knew I was like, there was something about being in the ocean and like being on a fiberglass board that just like ignited something in me, 100%. So um, how long was it until you like broke into the local scene and with the groms and stuff yeah, well, you I, see at the website it's gotta I be lived, pretty intense like, order, yeah. right? like, well I lived at Narrabeen so I was about like I don't know maybe 
15, 10, 15 blocks down the beach from North Narrabeen. So I lived right next to Nathan Webster and a couple other friends right there that we would surf in front of our house area. But Nathan for sure was already surfing up in Northie or North Narrabeen. Yeah. And I didn't even venture up there for at least a year or so. Like that was yeah. like, that's like the pier. That's know? where the gods were. Yeah. And I was like a mere mortal back here, just yeah. trying to figure out how to like even paddle and stand up and get through the whitewash. How is, how is Nathan to you? Uh, well, we weren't in the same school. So like we weren't initially, like we, I didn't know him too well straight up, but as soon as like I got into surfing and I'd go up to North Narrabeen by the age of probably like 11 or so, I was going to North Narrabeen board riders and then we became friends. But he was, Nathan was like, like I said, he was a level above. He yeah. was like sponsored yeah. and he's like, he was already on that program to being like, yeah. A successful surfer before I even knew how to like wax yeah. a surfboard. Like, yeah. were the kids uh, like welcoming, or were they like little dicks? I mean, it, <laughs> my peers all stoked. Yeah, North Narrabeen, totally different. Like Local. that was like heavy local scene. Like, yeah. I mean, I got all the grom abuse that you've ever heard of. Really? Oh yeah. Like I got tied up naked in front of the whole <laughs> beach once. Like there'd be fights every day. Like it was a heavy yeah. place back yeah. then. I yeah. mean, still to this day, there's like a heavy localism, but it used to be like, everywhere. Heavy. it wasn't like words weren't being exchanged. Yeah. Fists were being exchanged. We, we, every day. we talk about it all the time and how soft, like the surf community, but you know, it's, it's yeah. changed since when we grew up on how localized things were. For yeah, sure. I, I, mean, I mean, coming from inland, when yeah. I was growing up, it you definitely felt the tension and and like the animosity of the locals, you know, where Huntington Seal, yeah. you couldn't, you know, yeah. just they weren't welcoming. It was like whoa, bro. Yeah, even from like the other beaches in Sydney, like if you grew up at like I was at Narrabeen, if you lived at Monavale right next door or Warrywood or up at Avalon or Newport, like you, you couldn't go to those beaches without being sure you were going to have some sort of drama. Like it, I mean, there was respect for each other being yeah. surfers. You're in the same tribe, but you weren't yeah. at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Lennon still doesn't like the surf the <laughs> I hate it. Yeah. It's too aggressive. And I don't see anybody out there. <laughs> <laughs> it's empty lineup. Every time I pile out, you're such a <laughs> But, so, but where he where North Narrabeen is that's where they'd hold like the contests like you know pro when, junior. They, when they yeah the pro junior and stuff oh, the co classic yeah. yeah and there's a little river mouth so there's always and then peaks. the world junior championships like yeah. it's always had one of the more important events whether for juniors or for the top tier surfing throughout yeah. Yeah. history yeah so how far like in miles from you from your where you lived to North Narrabeen like what's the oh, distance like, there a mile away. Oh, wow. Yeah, close. Like, that's the house where I first lived in. My mom now lives about two houses away from there. Yeah. So when we, by the time I was in, I think, like, maybe year 10 of high school, year 9 of high school, we moved to North Narrabeen and live, like, from my roof, I can see the lineup. Yeah. And my mom's still there. It, it's funny, though, how, when you consider, like, you know, being from one part of the beach to the next and the, the, the difference of, like, your status, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, it was like a world away. Right? When I was like a mile away, that was yeah. a world away. I yeah. wouldn't even think to go there. Yeah. But now when I go back, it's like, yeah, it's like down the street. Yeah. It's <laughs> funny, like everywhere in the world where you're from, it's One degree kind of separation. It's is... kind of the same thing, yeah. right? Like, like the North Shore, you, you know, oh, if you're not from yeah. a certain spot, then you're going to have a tough time, right? Yeah, it's important, like, on some levels, obviously, that localism and it kind of regulates things in a healthy yeah. way, but then it's 
it's weird how you can be so out of it. Yeah. And feel. I, I always tripped out on like how people are so narrow, so, so narrow minded that, the, that, that that's their spot, whether, you know, it's a mile down the beach or it's the, the hot spot, wherever. And that's their spot every day of their life. When you got waves up and down the coast, yeah. you know, and if you just put a little time and effort and you're being cool and you know, Avalon, like how good the waves get good, you know, good there. You, you know, there's so many other spots. If you're Jesse Fain, though, the world is your surf spot. Yeah. But it's interesting, though, because, like, I have been super fortunate and traveled the world and surfed everywhere. But because I'm always in other places, I'm always that outsider coming in and people looking at me as some, like, blow-in and some sort of kook that they don't know who I am. Yeah. And, like, because I grew up in such a heavy localized space, like, I know how to be completely respectful to any place I go and how to, like, take my time and get to know the right people and, like, pay my dues. But, like, you see... And How? then you bust a couple turns, you do a couple aerials, and everyone goes, oh, that, that's Jesse's fame. Definitely not too many on the air <laughs> side, but a couple of turns, maybe, if I'm lucky. <laughs> so, uh, uh, how long was it until you started surfing the contests? I think by the time I was, like, definitely 12, maybe 11, I was already doing North Narrabeen Border Riders Club events, and I remember just being so, like, stoked that I was kind of allowed to go in one, but, like, just being in awe of all the people around me like you paddle out in a heat there and it's like it's like a ct event yeah. like the the no exaggeration like the guys in the final of those narrowing events even to this day are like the best surfers surfing yeah. as high quality as anyone ever was and awesome. it was all at my local beach so it was really a privilege to it's like crazy see that. how dominant and how uh rich you know talent rich australia's been right yeah. Oh, surf, surfing, like producing, like yeah, surfers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's kind of like Florida. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, Florida. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I was in Florida at the beginning of this year, man. I love it over there. Do you? Okay. Yeah, I love it. I was staying with Shay Lopez, and we drove around the entire coast, like did the Gulf Coast as well as like the Atlantic. It was just so surf stoked everywhere, and yeah. we got great waves. I yeah, mean, I love really, it over the, there. The East Coast has such a cool beach vibe. They are like so down to earth and mellow and just go happy i mean yeah. the east coast of the u.s is like the east coast of australia yeah same like wind swell like not always perfect but always something always yeah. something yeah All right, how, so- how is it wait i want to go back to the board board rider so like when you're in that like club is that where you go after school every day and go hang you could put your store your stuff there no not like that it no? was more just like once a Did month you- we'd have a surfing meeting? event like i'd surf narrowing before school after school during school like whenever you could yeah every day and the same group's always there but the contest were once a month and it's really a special thing like it would bring it definitely the younger kids would learn respect yeah whether it was kind of forced upon them or yeah. like just by being in awe of some of the older people but you would learn how to compete you would have a barbecue you'd learn how to start drinking beers like way before <laughs> you should have been yeah. um again not necessarily because you wanted to but you had to yeah. it was just like it was just the culture like yeah. I, I can't speak for it now like i look on the instagram and i see like the, the club scene in arabian and it's the same it's yeah. the same like more supportive and healthier maybe nowadays and it was sure. back in like Cleaner. the yeah. 80s but yeah I mean, it was, it's a special thing. Like it's, it's really that community's yeah. place to come together and look out for each other, look out for the beach and, and pass along traditions. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. And it probably helps the barriers between each little community, each beach town. Yeah. I mean, we would compete against other beaches and it would be like a friendly, like rivalry, but it was also 
it definitely sparked that competitive sense within yeah. surfers um, in Australia to like want to compete and be better than their peers, but also like the kids around the state or around yeah. the country. I mean, yeah, it, we're, we're stoked that, you know, we're starting to get kicked off here. Yeah. West coast board riders. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard of it for sure. Yeah. Shout out to like one of the guys that started it that passed away. Uh, Casey, we Casey, we, but um, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. And, the East Coast uh, is also um, starting their own, especially like New Jersey area. And then I saw something, South Carolina started one. Yeah. And I think Florida is starting to get going it's too. It's going to happen so. all up and down the coast. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so do you remember your like first sponsor? Like who, like what age were you, like when you started competing? Like 12? Yeah, I think by 12, 13, I was um, getting like Wix Surf Shop down in Colorado where like they started paying my contest entry fees and giving me like some product. And I started getting boards first from Cascade Surfboard. This guy, Brian Newton was making me a bunch of boards. And then I was getting boards. Um, I got one, I remember from Insight. And then I started writing for Aloha Surfboards. And that was, was I mean, Aloha was huge for me because yeah. like Damien Hardman yeah. was at Narrabeen, world champion riding him. And then there was Hedgie on him and Chris Davidson. Um, all at our local beach so like yeah. I felt super stoked and like just to be in the mix of that like yeah, again yeah. like I grew up around guys who were so good that like I was always looking at everyone else like yeah. feeling like I was just like the worst of the whole pack because <laughs> everyone was so good I mean yeah. straight up that's so crazy right to, to you know what I mean to have all that talent in front of you but dude it made you what you are today and made you like strive to be a better surfer right? for sure i mean i think that sense of having to fight to get waves at your local break just makes you hungrier like yeah. you're always like i mean i guess it can go both ways you could either like get over it because you're not getting much yeah. But, yeah. but we get so many waves in narrowband like mm -hmm. this you can it's a long beach you can always get a wave somewhere so what was your first uh the contest that you won do you remember um, I remember winning some, like, I was going in not only Narrabeen Border Riders, but Christian um, surfers had these, like, local Border Riders clubs. Mm -hmm. And I, I won a bunch of those. So that made me keep going in their events because I was all stoked to be, like, winning <laughs> these trophies and feeling like I had a hope in hell in the northern beaches. I mean, there were so many good surfers around. Like, I'd, I'd make finals, a lot of regional events, but, like, just to get through heats, it was, like, a victory yeah. in itself yeah. in that area. Like, there were so many good guys. Um, and I wasn't, I don't think I was ever well suited for competitive surfing. Like I, I just would freeze up in any heat. Even to this day, if I go in like a charity event, you I'm like. You sound like you got a little late night in you. Whoa, hey. <laughs> <laughs> this guy was doing well in events, man. From my perspective, for, like for me. Well, you have low standards as competitive <laughs> surfing then. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, I, uh, I, I made some heats here and there. I mean, I made some heats, but I never liked the feeling. Like if I get for a surf, I'm always so stoked to be in the water. If yeah. I put on a singlet, yeah. immediately I've got nerves yeah. and I, it never made me surf better. It yeah. always made me surf worse. Like even yeah. my best wave ever in a heat would be like a wave I wouldn't even remember if I was free surfing. Yeah. It just the opposite would come out of me. I see other people who would just like rise to the occasion and yeah. surf better than ever. And like, wow, like, I didn't even know that guy was good, that good. I never yeah. seen him rip that hard and free he surf, but yet yeah. he doesn't fall in a jersey on. You're like, and it's rad to see people who can kind of tap into that yeah. kind of sense, but that just wasn't my experience. It never yeah. has been. Yeah. yeah. So, who was your first like clothing sponsor? 
or what's it sponsored? Uh, I was super fortunate to get sponsored by Kadoo Clothing, and that was Richard Cram. So Richard Cram started, who was like a hero of mine. So oh, yeah. So he started Kadoo and like reached out to sponsor me from the get go through, I believe it was because I was sponsored by Wix and he called Wix to see who was some young good surfers in Narrabeen. And I got on the team and the coolest thing about that was I got to go on trips with Richard Cram. Like we would, we did a photo shoot down the south coast of Sydney and I just remember being so nervous to be like surfing around him because it's like, here's like one of the better surfers I've ever seen footage of. And like, I'm this grom, just like happy if I don't fall off. And yeah, like, I got press this guy, dude. I got, he's, yeah. Yeah. He's really I, I remember we drove up to a state titles event that I'd made it to up in, I think it was Tari and we drove up together and I think I had a good heat. I was against Jake Spooner and he was like getting tens, but I like, I think I like got a decent score in the heat and I came in all kind of stoked that I hadn't like been an absolute kook. But after the hit, I like put my board down on the ground behind a car, and I think we either or the car next to me like reversed over my board after the <laughs> hit. I don't know why that stands out, but just because I was with Cramio, I just like didn't want to do anything to like, yeah. just like let him down. Well, that's cool. He sponsored you, but also took you to the events and kind of mentored you in the, in yeah. the, in the heats and stuff. I mean, that's I've listened to some of your other podcasts where you're talking to guys like even Rama. I was listening to his one today from Banks, and just him talking about that sense of stoke when you get a sticker when you're a sponsored like yeah, yeah. it just ignites that sense of like you've been you've made it to yeah. like someone's noticed you and it's like that's everything yeah. like as and, a it, and it's it it's not a lot but yeah like it, it the message it gives that positive message it gives the, the kid or, to, or to you or whatever is insane to have somebody like richard cram who's not only one of the most at that time he was like one of the most recognized surfers respected surfers um, to reach out and find you, you know, to ride for his brand. Yeah, it was. That's a huge, you know, pat on the back. Yeah, I was stoked. Obviously, like it was, and it's funny because you don't necessarily understand or appreciate it fully when you're a grom. Yeah, you're yeah. just like, oh yeah, I get a free T-shirt. Or I get a sticker. Like I'm so stoked. Yeah. I just want to surf. But like as you get older and you start realizing like the things people do for you that they don't have to yeah. do. It's like, yeah. but they're going out of their way to kind of groom you. Yeah. It's kind of pain and forward, you. but yeah, you know, it is part of, yeah, it's marketing. so right. So did they make all clothing, all apparel, all kinds yeah. of different, every category? Yeah, they did then. Yeah. Sick. And it was super like fashion forward. Like it was, it was rad stuff. Like I still remember some of the stuff, um, definitely different than the average brand at the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Super cool. Australia always had the funniest names for brands. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like Japan. We, we we talked about this before, like Kadu. What yeah. does Kadu mean? Do you remember? I, I'm pretty sure it didn't mean anything. It's probably <laughs> just a. I don't know if it was taken from an Aboriginal word. I, I can't remember, but yeah, um, we'll have to look it up. Yeah, I mean it's you know like if you're going to start a brand, you got to figure out a word that hasn't been already taken by something That's, out there. So you yeah. want to the best ones are the ones that are new and stand out and are short, so it's not too yeah. hard for people to remember yeah. and say and like to, hot buttered. Yeah. Hot butter, though, I think means like it's imagine you got hot butter and it's easy to go through it with a knife. That's uh, like a surfboard being like a knife right. through the waves. I'm pretty sure that's where Terry would have got that from. Yeah. Mambo. Well, Mambo was after the designer. Okay. Regiment Basso, I think is how you say his name. Um, but yeah, cool. Hot tuna. Right now, dude. hot tuna. Hot tuna. I don't know what the. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that one came from. Their ads were amazing. Oh, yeah. So Cover good. your mullet. Yeah. yeah. I mean. Definitely not the most um, 
like what's the PG? right definitely not no PG <laughs> but like man I'll never forget some of those uh, for they, sure. they were probably having so much fun they were probably killing it how long did you ride for Kadoo? um a couple of years I'm nice. trying to did they put you in any ads or do you remember yeah. the first like surf mag shot you got First surf mag shot I remember, I think I was surfing at Warrywood. This guy, Dean Wilmot, I didn't even know he was shooting. I never saw a photographer, but Andrew Kibben ran a photo of me in waves. It was probably like, I don't know, like quarter of a page size, but it was, I remember because I had a wavelength wetsuit on that I was sponsored by, and I think I was on my Aloha board with a Kadoo sticker, and um, yeah, I was just so stoked to just to get one in the mags. But yeah, Richard... Like Crammy ran um, an ad, I remember an Aloha Kadoo ad, um, probably in Waves or in Surfing World, one of those mags. Yeah. So yeah, nice. Stoked. So how was uh, how was your amateur surfing career? Um, pretty amateur. <laughs> <laughs> um, short and sweet. Pretty short and sweet. I mean, a few things happened though that changed my surfing kind of path. I um, my last year of high school, I broke my ankle surfing. Mm. So I guess I was 17 at the time. So it was like still beginning of like that year of school. I didn't get to surf that whole year. So that kind of changed my whole focus. I started focusing more on school because um, I wasn't surfing. So I just like, it was my last year of high school. I started taking that serious. I mean, I was always pretty decent at school and I liked going to school, yeah. but my focus was on wanting to surf obviously and how to pursue something in that. But when I broke my ankle, that changed. I just had more time at home to start thinking about other things. And I started really thinking outside of the little box that I'd kind of put myself in. And I just wanted to travel. Like I, I think more than wanting to compete, I really wanted to see the world. Um, and I also started getting interested in like, what was I gonna study beyond high school? So yeah. I, I applied and got accepted to study psychology. But, but then I actually deferred. So I was like, I knew I wanted to travel. So I did what most kind of Australians back then seemed to do is like, we'd take a year off and I just tr spend a year traveling around the world. Um, so at a time when I was like, so let me, let me interject real quick. That happened to Larson too. He, he broke his leg or ankle and, yeah. and he didn't, he wasn't smart enough to focus on school. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna, I'm, Sorry, gonna go I'm gonna come back bigger and stronger. And I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. So yeah. I had to put that in there. I mean, injuries can go one or two yeah. ways, huh? They get you motivated, or they make you realize you got to think about something else. Cause, yeah. And for me, it wasn't that it made me stop wanting to be like competitive in my surfing or to have some sort of future with it, but it just made me realize, well, I got to do something else right now. And yeah. I, and I was still in school. It wasn't like I needed a job, but I just. It just opened up my mind like mm -hmm. it when one one door closes so to speak hopefully others open which usually is the case and i just started being more aware of other stuff so i got interested in other things yeah. and so you mentioned psychology mm -hmm. okay what what was uh driving you to that field um i think just books and things i was reading at the time i was just interested to know more about myself i'm sure but my mother also is she at the time was like a um, kind of like a therapist she was working at when I was in high school she worked at a youth refuge and then a women's refuge so for like basically homeless and battered kids and women like just seeing like the heaviest sort of things and so I just had a sense of her kind of understanding and helping yeah and, yeah, and she's counseling. always been so um, such an easy person to talk to 
and always encouraging to to go have life experiences and to get to know yourself yeah. and to so it just and to travel like my parents were hippies like they met in Israel on a kibbutz um, both of them had just like left their lives and traveled and mm-hmm. met in a random place and that's, so crazy. So that's in your DNA your dad's yeah. Australian your mom's American exactly okay yeah. yeah, I mean, my dad left school, I think, when he was 14, and then by the time he was, like, 18, 19, he met my mom in Israel, and I was born a couple of years later, and so, yeah, I, I was brought up in very free-thinking kind of young parents who just encouraged me to, like, do whatever I wanted. They weren't surfers, but they always supported me to, like, yeah. Yeah. do what I cared about, and, yeah. yeah. I so, think that's good parenting, you know, not putting too much pressure on the kid and letting them kind of, I mean, give them some good guidance yeah. and give them yeah. some good you know, boundaries, but you help know. them make the right decisions. Yeah. Yeah. Help them make the right decisions, but not make those decisions. Yeah. I am blown away. Yeah. Check it out. Is it an F? You can try that one. <laughs> so, so, uh, did you go, did you embark on a, on a world tour then? Yeah. At the end of high pretty school? much as soon as I finished high school, I, um, you told your sponsors you're going on QS tour and you got some extra cash. Or no, what? I wasn't. I didn't get any help like that. <laughs> I wasn't doing contests. I left. I bought a one way ticket um, away from Australia. I just knew I wanted to see other places, so I, I ended up going to Hawaii. Stayed in Hawaii for two months. Um, June Joe picked me up at the airport. What? Went and stayed in Kailua with him for probably a few weeks with him and his family, and then ended up staying with a. Ki- uh, Aquila Iper at Waimea and stayed there for like a month and Damn. yeah like that two months in Hawaii was huge like I got to hang out with like the Malloy brothers they had a place at VLAN back yeah. in the day I stayed there with those guys at one night I remember and then meeting Benji and the whole like the whole momentum crew like back when it was OAM and like on a mission before that was even anything yeah, yeah. like I remember they had the hats and like I was like what's OAM like what's that and they're just like finally I got kind of led into that world and just so like crazy. Yeah, it's just like, what? so that two months then led to, I spent a year traveling. What was your connection to, to June Joe? Well, everyone used to come and stay at my house in okay. um, Narrabeen. Like, I got really lucky. My, I convinced my parents to buy a house right next to North Narrabeen, pretty much. <laughs> Forced them to. Um, just wouldn't stop talking about how we, I needed to be closer to the beach. Like, And the house that we got, I ended up having my own apartment in. It was like a self-contained apartment downstairs. So every year, like we were saying, the Pro Junior would come to Narrabeen and all the best surfers from, especially the US, but even some from other countries would come over and like, like so everyone from Ross Williams, Shane Dorian, um, like everyone, like Jay would come over, like Kalani, Kelly, like wow. everyone would end up in my house because it was like two houses away from that beach. So got to know all those guys and Akila, I think Akila, and maybe June, because I was sponsored by Gorilla Grip, they would, like, any of the surfers coming over that was sponsored by Gorilla Grip, they'd be like, Jess, you got room in your place for anyone to stay? And, like, I'd just be like, yeah, please. And, like, yeah. get to, and my parents were super cool. Letting me just we, are, we are groms with no money anyway. So it's like, yeah, buddy up. Like, yeah. That's and, amazing. But it's like, so by the time I finished high school, I had friends all around the world thanks to living sure. in the right place and yeah. being a surfer. And so when I got on a plane to Hawaii, I... I just like maybe naively it was like yeah I'm, I'm sweet I got places in Hawaii and like yeah. no idea what it meant to be in Hawaii and like how far it was from town to the North Shore and not having a car how I'm meant to do all this but yeah I mean you just surfing gives us so many opportunities yeah. like that you meet someone at the beach and next second you got a place to go in Mundaka and you got a place to go in France yeah. and you got a place in California. Surfers are, are really open in regards to that meaning like you know like hey yeah I'll open my house up just come stay like you yeah. know it's 
I mean, that's pretty, you know, inspiring to like, you know, travel around and yeah. get plugged in, not staying at a resort or a hotel. Sure. Not that everybody could afford that, but to oh, go, I spent a year traveling around the world. I didn't stay pay at one the, night to sleep anywhere. I spent beautiful. all over the world. It was all thanks but to, to surfers. But to get plugged into the community and like, oh, we're going to go to this like little local hole in the wall restaurant, you know, like you wouldn't normally find, but this is our local hotspot and this is For where sure. you get your meat pie and this is where you go here and this is the nightclub or the bar we're going to go, you know, like yeah. everything about experiencing that like scene, getting plugged in with yeah, like a sure. local is huge. Yeah, so, after Hawaii, I came to California. I remember Ryan Ray and um, Matt Coleman drove up and picked me up from the airport sick. at LX and I stayed with Matt for like probably a month down in, um, I don't know if it was Solana Beach. We worked at Solana Beach together at this restaurant like Busboys, um, but I, I can't remember where his actual place was at, but yeah, I mean, it's like you get, I remember that name, Matt Coleman. Oh, you yeah, ripped. ripped. I used Regular to, footer. Yeah, wrote yeah. for Rusty. Like, ripped. Matt was such a good surfer. I hope yeah. he's still surfing now. I haven't seen him in ages, but uh, yeah. I think he's into, like, triathletes now. I see him wow. on Instagram. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's such a special thing about the, like, kind of tribe of surfing, so to speak. Yeah. You meet people, especially when you're young, and they just become lifelong friends. And, yeah. like, as you say, you get to their local place. And all of a sudden, you know, like a community and you've yeah. got like, you know where to go eat, you know where to surf and you're getting waves. Like I remember. You, yeah, you couldn't get out of a book, out of a travel agency sure, that you right. couldn't, you know, and it makes you appreciate that place. I mean, normally you could run into, you know, bad turns, bad people and that still could happen. But when you're plugged in with like that, you know, kind of local sure. like vibe. Oh, I remember being in Hawaii that is, first time and staying with Aquila. Mm -hmm. And Akila took us to VLAN one day and like paddled me out with him and like a whole bunch of the boys are out there and he's just like, go, go whatever you want. Yeah. And like, there's no way in the world I'm getting waves out of VLAN on a crowded day if I didn't have Akila <laughs> telling the other guys to give me some waves. Like, yeah. so that's just huge. Like, so you spent two months in Hawaii? Two months in Hawaii. That was the beginning of the trip. And I had no plan to the trip except I knew I was going to Hawaii. That yeah. was like, I'm going to Mecca, staying there and whatever comes was that, after. Is that your first trip out of, out of Australia? That was the first trip out of high school. I'd traveled before. I'd okay. gone to, I'd actually been to Hawaii when I was 14 with Surfing my parents. Yeah. yeah, went to Kauai and went to Oahu for about three weeks. And then they'd taken me to uh, to Fiji as well. Oh, wow. sweet. Uh, which is crazy because my parents never surfed, but they took me places to help me do what I wanted to do. Yeah. So super Are you rad. only child? No, I got a younger brother too. Okay. And a half sister who's a lot younger. Okay. So going back to your high school, out of high school trip. You went Hawaii's two months there, winter time? Yeah, so got there sizable. like January, yeah. And yeah, you, you're already waves. comfortable in, in big waves or? Oh, no, no way. <laughs> <laughs> I was comfortable with the idea of like holding a bigger surfboard and like thinking I could ride a six foot day at Narrabeam, but no, Hawaii's a whole different deal. You get right. off the plane there and you feel it in the air that like suddenly you're scared. Like yeah. the, the the wind blowing fear into you straight away. Like the strongest winds ever. Like and, sure. and you're like, we never paddle out at home in these winds, but there it just, it makes the waves. It makes the vibe. I mean, it's yeah. Thank God I got picked up by June and went to Kailua. So I like, I had like stepping stones to the North shore. Cause yeah. like, I remember surfing with June and like, uh, Jason Bogle, Yeah, man, like that brings, man, that brings back some flashbacks. Yeah. There. But I'm um, surfing too. Ripped. I, I mean, I have a vivid memory surfing with him in Kailua at this one spot. I don't know the name of it, but, but man. Base? We went on base, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, just 
stepping stones because when by the time I got onto the North Shore and then staying with Aquila at Waimea, like and seeing Waimea breaking, like dude, that, that's a whole different like <coughs> you've gone from one universe to another universe. Yeah, so like, crazy for sure. <clears throat> so did you get some bombs? I mean, I don't know. For me, there were bombs for yeah. sure. Like any any adult looking some eighteen year old grumman, I don't think the waves I was getting were bombs in their eyes, but. I mean, I remember paddling out a few days at sunset that were real and paddling out pinballs and feeling like I was out Waimea, but I'm sure it was just pinballs. But yeah. I mean, thankfully back then, I mean, this is going back a while. It was not as crowded as like you go there these days. And it's like, I don't know how anyone gets waves so on the big days well, or the good days. Just look at along the coast here. It's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. The number of surfers. Yeah, we talk, we talk about how surfing's like flourish and how many people participate in the sport you know and you would think the industry would just be on all cylinders and yet you know it's still you know kind of a tough situation these days you know but there's so many people out in the water you're like somebody's making money man living in la man it's it's baffling like there's so many people in the water yeah yeah so, so from there you went to California. How long were you in California? I think I was in California a couple of months in Southern California. Like I said, I got a job um, to get a bit of cash, and then I. So everywhere you went, you kind of had to make money. I had zero money. Like I bought a one-way ticket, and <laughs> wow. the craziest thing, and I think about this a lot. Like I spent a year traveling all around the world, didn't pay for accommodation one night, and I got back to Australia a year later, and I had the same amount of money as I had when I left. Like I just you just hustle. Like I, I I remember when I was in Hawaii, like I was days where I'd pick a coconut and I'd like, that's all I'm having today. (laughs) Or other days I'd get like some ramen and like, like you just learn how to survive. And like money wasn't something I was, I didn't care about money because I didn't have it. But I also like, I wasn't chasing it. I was just wanting to surf. But once you get get... the mindset of like, you know what, like things are going to open up. I'm going to be able to like get some food and you know, yeah. people have been, you know, helping me out. Like so many people it takes away the, yeah. a lot of the worry, you know, well, this sure. is a, a great story and example to, to the, the younger listeners, right? Like you do whatever you got to do. Like yeah, go travel, I, see the world. And, but you know, you're not, don't be scared to get out of your comfort box and, and making it happen. You yeah, know, yeah, like, don't you, rack up uh, a huge credit card bill. You don't need you know? to like, no. you, as long as you're like, I mean, I always remember my dad telling me like, kind of put a smile on your face and the world smiles back at you. And like that got me through to this day, most things. Like if you're positive and happy, you attract that and opportunities present themselves. And yeah. if you're like not an idiot, you don't, you don't blow them all. Yeah. And like if you make a few work, then it leads to the next. So, I mean that year traveling, yeah, I hustled and worked here and there. Like I remember working at a restaurant in Carlsbad or Solana Beach. Um, I would like sell a wetsuit if I had one I didn't need anymore if I was in a new place like whatever you had to do but like I lived on no money like you just didn't need a lot back then like I was living in like people's couches or in the back of a van in Europe for three months so 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 from California where'd you go um after California I actually ended up going up to Canada at one point like drove up the west coast all the way to Canada then hitchhiked over to Chicago (laughs) spent a couple of Weeks. Board bags? No, no, I was okay. without boards at this point. I just left boards what, in. Um, what was the onus to go to Canada? Well, I had a friend from Narrabeen who was driving up. My neighbor from Narrabeen, Bull, was driving up to see his cousins in Canada, in Vancouver. So we did a road trip up the whole coast. Then when we got there, they were just staying there. And I had a friend I'd gone to high school who was learning to be a pilot. Um, in He was in Illinois, but 
I somehow we this is before email and we went on cell phone so like yeah. somehow we had written letters and kept in touch and he had said if I could get to Chicago he could pick me up on an airplane so somehow I hitchhiked to Chicago like literally a few days just like sleeping on the side of the road getting down because I didn't, what? Wow. Well, didn't have money so it wasn't wow. like didn't even seem heavy to me at the time now I'm like god I hope my daughter doesn't do shit like that yeah. <laughs> but but basically got so to what part of Canada like well we were in I got a ride with my neighbor to Vancouver then with one of his friends got over to Calgary through Banff I remember like some epic experiences along the way yeah beautiful um and then from calgary got myself to chicago and then in chicago my friend to his word met me up there in like a little two-seater plane like this is a guy a year ago we're in high school together and he's flown up (laughs) and he's in america flying planes flying planes (laughs) Like it's and man, so like we got on that plane and flew down to it was uh, Centralia, Illinois, like the middle of Illinois, and the, it's so sketchy. Like we're on an what airplane. I, I don't think it even had back doors. Like it was like this tiny little plane, and I just remember on the runway in Chicago, like Chicago, like it's international a, it's a, airport. It's a Volkswagen Bug with wings on yeah. it. Like so, so did crazy. you have like a backpack? Or I just backpack had a backpack. And, yeah, yeah. Wow, you traveled like. At that point, I mean, yeah. I think in my grandparents' house in Palo Alto, I'd left like my surfboard bag and a big travel bag. Um, but yeah, at that point, I knew I was just going to, I wanted to see America. So I I got, and it's funny because Akila Iper had given me his ID. <laughs> so I had ID saying that I was, at 21. the time, I, yeah, saying I was 21, <laughs> but I was Akila Iper. And at one point, I remember... <laughs> I ended up in Vegas. I got a Greyhound bus from the middle of um, Illinois, Centralia, Illinois, stopped in Vegas. and Of course you had to. Had to. <laughs> went to a casino and I remember them asking for my ID and I give them a Keeler Ipers ID. Yeah. And they just Hold like, bro. I walked straight in. Um, like at the time I'd shaved my head and a Keeler had short hair, I think, in this photo. Um, but yeah, however I got How away with it. I remember sitting at money. like a slot machine in the middle of the day in Vegas getting a beer and playing a salt machine. I was like, I got to get out of here. This is not what, who I want to be. Yeah. This is so Vegas is gnarly. It's Vegas cool. was gnarly, but I'll tell you what was gnarly. When I got off the Greyhound bus in LA, it was like 10 o'clock at night, downtown LA. I'm 18 years or maybe 19 at this point. No, I was still 18. Heaviest night, heaviest memory. Like LA was a scary place. Yeah. Like it still is in some parts. Yeah, but like, for sure. Greyhound bus stations around the U.S. are not the like safest place to be traveling. <laughs> no, like, yeah, you're talking about like yeah, a lot of shenanigans in those yeah, areas. Yeah. Did you uh, travel with a f- camera at all? Like, did you take photos on your your trip? You know, I don't think I have a lot of photos from that trip. No, I um, because it was hard back then. with like, the film. I traveled a lot by myself when I went to Europe. Because then, from those couple of months in the U.S., I um ended up buying a return ticket to Europe, flew to England, spent a month in around Newquay, like met up with two friends from high school and we bought an old van, like this old Bedford truck, built a bed in the back of it. And then we spent three months traveling around Europe. The three yeah. of us sleeping on like one double mattress in the back with our boards underneath yeah. um, and lived on nothing. Like we, three of us, we spent no money for three months, but like we went all through, we got the ferry down to Santander in Spain then drove, like went to Mandaka, scored perfect Mandaka. My first day in Spain was like 
eight to ten foot, eight, maybe bigger, perfect mandaka. Wow. Most unbelievable I wave ever. I couldn't, like the night before we got to Bacchio yeah. in Spain, and that was pumping. Had this great surf. Didn't even know where mandaka was, but I was like, how many boards with, did you have? I think I took two boards. I think I had a, a short board and a 6.8. And no, I, had a, I must have had a 7.2. I did. I had a CHP um, from Matt Hames, a 7.2 that I had at Mandaka because it was, it was big. It was yeah. like 8 to 12 foot, real waves. Like I remember when I showed up in the morning, we, we drove there in the dark, got there just as the sun was coming up, and I just saw these lions, and it was... It was pretty high tide, so the first surf out there was kind of sketchy because the tide was just like, I spent like an hour paddling against the current. Couldn't even get to where the wave was breaking. I was just struggling. But later in the day, it was some of the best waves I've ever seen. Wow. And there was like a few of the like best European surfers. Like I remember Karen Williams um, was there. There was um, Morris Cole, I believe, showed up. There was, and then obviously the guys from Mandaka, like who just charge. Um. But yeah, that place is amazing. That's crazy. So you spent how many months in, in Europe? Three months in Europe through like Spain, Portugal, France. Then we even went inland. Like we went up to Belgium, Holland. I went to where my parents were married in Holland um, and England, like I said. And then I flew back to the States and then flew back to Australia. And that wow. was like a year later. That's amazing. You could, I mean, you definitely should put those memories in a, a memoir, you know? Like I mean, book. I kept a diary. So I, I do have a diary. I wrote in it every day um, what I was doing. And, and back then, again, there was no email. So I was writing postcards. So pretty much every week of that year, I was sending postcards to friends and family from around the world. And, yeah. and one of those led to, like, <laughs> indirectly kind of led to my first job. I was from Mandaka that day. I remember <laughs> just scoring, like, the best waves and just being like, I've just, I've arrived. Like, I left home and here I'm at Mandaka and it's like perfect the day I arrived. So I was just like, man, I'm onto something here. And I was just so stoked that I wrote this postcard and sent it to Andrew Kidman, who was the editor of Waves magazine at the time and a friend of mine from Narrabeng. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't writing it with any intention to ever work for the magazine. I was just so stoked that I'd seen these sort of waves and I just wanted to share it. So I wrote it to him because I figured he'd a appreciate this. A postcard, this. not a letter. So it was only just a like postcard. Four, four sentences. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just like, man, I'm here at Mandaka. This place is amazing. Like, And just like so stoked <laughs> I got to leave Narrabeen and go see some of the world and something along those lines. And when I got back a year later, or probably six months later, I see Andrew and he's like, oh man, like that was super cool. Like you wrote me in like a postcard. He was like, man, you should write for the magazine. And at the time I was already studying um, psychology at university and I'd like really just shifted my mind. I was like, okay, I'm studying now. I'm not a surfer. I'm not pursuing that whole world. I'm just like, and I had never had aspirations to be a writer or be like working at a surf mag, but I like just wanted to be a surfer. But suddenly um, I'm at university focused on a whole different pathway. And Andrew was like, you should write for me. And anyway, fast forward a year later, Andrew was leaving the magazine. Hold on, hold on. So, write for him, like, what kind of job? Like, what kind of... He was just like, hey, you're a passionate kid, basically. Yeah, and yeah. you're like... You have a lot of experience You're now, a surfer and, and you've traveled. You know like, yeah, and... you want to write something for the magazine? And I, and I remember saying to him, I was like, look, I'm, I'm at uni. I'm so busy. I'm just focused on this, but thanks. But I yeah. didn't. So I didn't even ever take that up. I was like, 
I just, I got to focus. I got to study. I'm like, I'm yeah. on this track. I'm going to be here for four years at uni. You're so not Larson. <laughs> <laughs> Is this our first guest actually went to college? I uh, know Bob, Bob. No, but I dropped out. I, I dropped out. So I was only at uni for one year. Like, and I loved it though. Like that. Yeah. I remember a year later when I ended up getting, um, Andrew said he was going to leave the magazine. He thought I'd be a good person to interview for potentially getting a job there. So you didn't write for the mag at all? I'd never written anything for anyone except some postcards when I was traveling. Yeah. And then he and was leaving a year later. So a year later, he basically asked if I wanted to come and interview because he was like, look, you, you might be good at this if you want to do it. Yeah. And he what wasn't giving me the he, job. Uh, kept you in mind? Well, I kept seeing him in the surf. Like yeah. Andrew was an ama- is an amazing surfer. He was like Australian champion. He... Um, he made that film Litmus, yeah. like amazing surfer, a huge mentor of mine, just as a human, let alone as a surfer. Um, but he wasn't giving any job away. He was leaving, but he, the publisher of the magazine, they also did Tracks magazine and Playboy and a whole bunch of magazines. He was just like, look, I can put your name in if you want to go have an interview. Yeah. yeah. And at the time I was like, well, I'll have an interview. Like, well, I don't even know what that means. I'd never been to an interview. I had no desire to have a yeah. job. I was like, I'm at uni, but I'll go do this, see yeah. what that means. Yeah. So I go to this interview and at the time I'm like 20 years old. Um, so the publisher and the person, um, the creative director that interviewed me, they're just seeing me as a kid that they could probably like if I was good enough to do the job, they could pay peanuts and like, yeah. And mold you kind exactly. of give you good direction. Yeah. And help. So like I had to write a bunch of stories, like mock stories. And I went through a few different interviews and, and I just thought it was all just like an interesting journey to go on, but I had no just thought that I was going to get a job. Yeah. If anything, do you remember maybe, what kind of stories like were they like, I think I just had to write some, maybe a travel story, maybe like, interview questions if I was going to sit down with someone what God. would you interview them like they just wanted to get a sense for where my head was at yeah. and what I could do um, that's pretty rad and I mean I just did it because I was like but you're like yeah a job get paid and, and honestly I I was, money was the last thing on my mind I was like but just a freedom of like getting you know when they when they finally offered me the job, I literally thought it was candid camera or something. I I, <laughs> I thought because I was like, "There's no way in the world." I'm 20 years old. I've never worked at all. Yeah. And this is like, like an adult job. I'm a kid. 100. And yeah. the people working at the mags were all like 10, 20 years older than me at the time. I was like, well, "How could I possibly be the editor?" It wasn't like he you're going to be so the wait, intern. The editor. First job was the editor of Waves. Yeah. The editor, and that's like the top. Of the it was based, I mean, it sounds better than it was. Like, it was me and an art director, and we did everything. So, I was the photo editor, I was the guy doing everything. I wrote the captions, had no wrote the stories. Of any of that. The only experience I had is I had done work experience with Andrew when I was 15. So, and all that meant was for because when you're in school in Australia, I don't know if it's the same here, but you do work experience when you're about 15, and maybe again, it's like, like a trade, trade, yeah, a week trade, out of yeah. school, and you get to go try out a job somewhere if you have a friend or a contact and yep. something. And for me, when I was 15, I was like, Oh, I knew Andrew from just surfing with him. I was like, Man, can I come with you for a week? And he was like, Yeah, all right. So, all that meant was yeah. like, I think I wrote a couple of captions under some photos that week. I don't think we even went to the office more than maybe two days out of the week. The other day we were working from his house. Another day he had a contest to go to, or I had a contest to You're go surfing. to. surfing. Exactly. Yeah. So it was like, I just thought, okay, I'm 15. I just want to surf. What's going to let me do that this week? So I did an intern with him. 
but he must have remembered me in yeah. the sense that I was like... You, you made an impression on him. Yeah, I was a stoked kid who yeah. like was... I, I've never been the type who wouldn't do what I was asked to yeah. do. So I just like, if he asked me to do it, I did it. So he probably remembered, okay, here's someone who's not going to just... It's blow. pretty cool that this guy, right, who you've seen in the water, you're good friends with him, and he, all along, he kind of had that in his mind that this guy would be a great replacement for me. And there's probably no other kid putting their hand up there want to hang out. So, I mean, I, I was smart enough to, like, say hi to him. I think that's all it comes down to. I think, like you were saying, like, teaching kids to just build a network. Yeah. yeah. Don't be too nervous mm. to go say hi to someone you look up to, even if you're nervous. Like, yeah. say hi, because that's going to, like, bridge a gap. But I think, yeah. though, you know, a guy like that looks for certain traits in a person that, you know, they're obviously going to hand right. off the reins to. But you're, you're like, okay, he's this great surfer. Uh, he's traveled the world. Yeah, who, what 18-year-old what just goes and gets a one-way ticket and bounces and comes back a year later? Hey, I'm going to university. All of those yeah. little check boxes that he's probably thinking of, like, wow, this kid all those did all this on his huge. own by himself. He's going to uni. Like, he might be a good guy. That I mean, you're looking at Surf yeah. Magazine, something that you know a lot about already, just being in the in the industry. Yeah. I mean, I was obsessed with Surf Mags. Like, I had probably two to three hundred of them yeah. in my house, and I ended up giving them all to Al Hunt. I don't know if you like you would know Al, yeah, yeah. but like Al has like the biggest collection of Surf Mags. I gave them all to him years later, which Is I he wish Australian I... Al Hunt. Yeah, yeah. Al was has been there from day one yeah. of the ASP and yeah. WSL, and um, and he's also from North Narrabeen. He was a great surfer. <clears throat> Um, and I mean, I remember footage of him at Mundaka actually back in the seventies, which was amazing. Um, yeah. So your first real job, first job, first job, actually, no, sorry. First real job. Cause I, while I was at university, I was working at pizza hut part-time. I was working at like the supermarket. I think it was Cole's supermarket packing shelves before going to uni. Then after uni, I was working at Liquorland selling alcohol and pizza hut making pizzas to get money to to afford yeah. to live. Yeah. I love it. Did, did, you, did you get free pizza while you worked? <laughs> yes. And anyone who is listening to this that works at a pizza place, I used to diet. Like I'd call, I'd be outside, call in a pizza. And then they would show up and be like, oh, yeah. we got to eat that. Exactly. Show up. <laughs> I like it. See? We, we, Why did you know that so quickly, uh, Marshall? Uh, you know, I made some of those decisions uh, working at McDonald's and other spots. Hey, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Yeah. It's so amazing. boom, they... they Andrew called you up and said, hey, you got the job? Uh, Andrew didn't, know because he wasn't the one giving out the job. Okay. Like He, he just, just put my name in to get me to have an interview. And I'm sure they interviewed a bunch of people. But when I got asked for, to come back in, and then they're like, okay, well, the job's yours. I was like, this has got to be a joke. Like, how could I be able to do this? And Andrew was leaving. He went on a year-long trip to make that movie Litmus. So he basically, when they gave me the job and I... I wasn't even sure if I wanted it, to be honest. Like, yeah. I was stoked at uni. But I remember talking to my grandparents who were in Australia at the time. And my grandmother, was, I was kind of nervous to even bring up the subject. Like, oh, am I going to leave university? Like, my yeah. grandfather was a doctor at Stanford for like 60 years. And so the idea of like leaving university to go be a surf magazine editor and they didn't surf. I was like, this is kind of yeah. weird to even but bring up. you looking for guidance and yeah. some insight. I like, just kind of mentioned it in yeah. passing, thinking that I wasn't even going to get the job, let Before alone your do parents it. Or? Uh, I think it was probably because I just remember, I, maybe I mentioned to my same parents time, at yeah. the same time, but like I remember my grandparents being there and I just remember my grandmother going, man, you should try that. Like that sounds like a interesting thing. And I just remember being shocked 
because I was like not even taking it serious. I was yeah. like stoked to get to do an interview, not going to get the job. But when they offered it to me, I was like, oh, wait, how do I leave university now? Yeah. Like that seems so like a wrong decision. Was was the uh, the role and salary offering pretty Nothing. enticing or? <laughs> no, it was the the money was peanuts. Like I remember what I was getting paid to this day and it yeah. was, I was getting paid more to work part-time at Pizza Hut and the supermarket than I was getting paid per okay. hour to be the pretty much one man show with the art director of the whole magazine, Yeah, like peanuts. But what it did was it completely changed my life. It can, it got me absolutely back on my passion path of my life which has always been surfing from day one yeah and it just somehow the world kind of took me i was going one direction thinking okay i'm supposed to go to university and study and become a psychologist and and next second it was like no you're actually here's an opportunity for you to do what you love and i remember thinking but i don't know anything about how to do that job yeah except for i love surfing it's i love looking at magazines and i was like well I can always go back to university. And I remember that's what my thought process was. Like, and my grandmother kind of supported me on that. She yeah. was just like, school's going nowhere. You can always go back to school, but who knows what this could be. Yeah. This might be a fun year of your life. So when I took the job, it was more- That's of, cool. That's, uh, yeah. that's rad that your parents and grandparents For sure. It. I mean, I was super lucky to have supportive parents in anything I chose to do. And those magazines are, are uh, well-respected. Right, like yeah, waves yeah. was huge back yeah. then, and yeah. tracks, tracks. I mean, was huge. yeah, I mean, and I got so waves and tracks were in the same office, so it's like this room that we're in here. It was like both magazines were getting done in the same place, and Neil Ridgeway, they had the foresight at the magazine to pay Neil to kind of groom me, so to speak, and I got nothing but respect for Neil. But honestly, he didn't really groom me that much. He pretty much just we just butted heads because <laughs> we were in the same office needing to get the same photos. Like back in the day, like yeah. there was limited resources. So like one photographer, whether it's Paul Sargent or like Bosco or guy Andrew yeah. Buckley, short shorty, if they'd go on a trip for us, we'd both magazines would contribute to the cost of them getting somewhere. When the film came back and got developed, it's we'd bad. be like fighting for yeah. who got the photos. So it's That's like crazy. very soon we had to like what? separate. Do you remember what your like niche was? The difference between tracks and waves? Well, tracks was, was really similar. Or? No, tracks was definitely more news orientated and like more current affairs, and it was a better magazine. I mean, ultimately, it was way more depth. There was like in-depth stories, and there was a lot more rich history to it. Um, waves was like the little brother of tracks, and it was more kind of current, like more high performance surfing yeah. and more photos than articles. So um, Andrew was so good, like he's such a good writer and he was a great editor, um, but he had been there quite a while. And I think it was pretty obvious by the end of it, he was at a different stage in his life and he was just kind of over it being there. And he was over the whole pro scene, so to speak. Um, not so, I shouldn't say he was over it. He was just more interested in some other stuff. He was getting really interested in like Wayne Lynch and some older surfers that had kind of been forgotten. And he was, he wanted to go on his own journey and yeah. like travel the world and make a really iconic movie litmus. So when I took on the job at the you time, youth, you brought, yeah, I, I just brought enthusiasm and I was so like in, because I was friends with like your yeah. whole peer group with like all the momentum guys that were coming and staying in my house in Narrabeen. 
I was like, man, I, that's what's interesting to me. Like what's going on, not just in Australia, but also what's going on in America and what's going on around the world. At the time, Waze was very Australian, but I had more of an open mind to what was going on in yeah. other countries. And I just wanted to represent what was like high performance, good surfing at the time. And I had a, a luckily I had the opportunity to do that. And, nice. and I didn't fail too quickly to get booted out straight away. Like I, I literally, the day my first issue came off the printer, I remember getting it and running to the toilet at the building and hiding because I expected they were looking for me and they were going to fire me because I was like, <laughs> like, I was sure there's no way this you're, gig's going to last once I saw what like I did. like the one and done episode funny. or, you know, for sure. issue. For sure. Like I was terrified. I was, I was so, so nervous. Do you remember what your like big decisions were on that first magazine? Like who was on the cover? Steve Clements. Steve Clements got the cover doing a backhand air and everybody told me not to run the photo because no, it, like he probably fell off. Yeah. So they were like, everyone's well, like, pull it. <laughs> well, I think it was just, he was pretty much unknown. He yeah. was a young surfer from the same beach. It was, um, he wasn't like sponsored by any of the big companies. Like there was no right reason to run it. Um, yeah. except for me, it just represented, I was looking over all the previous issues and it was always really well-known people doing something that like you'd kind of seen. Yeah. And I was like, here's a photo that I'm not seeing enough of. I want to see guys do big airs. And yeah. this guy was doing a big no hand grab backhand air. I was like, that's sick. And I, yeah. so I remember from day one, like having to fight to do things. Yeah. And I started realizing, well, if I'm getting away with what I want to do, like, I'm not saying I'm right, but like, if it's my, and Andrew, the pretty much the only thing Andrew Kidman had kind of passed along to me was like, kind of got to do what you believe in because like yeah. and and work with people that you like yeah. so like i remember it's you got to sell it you got to have conviction like, you got to have is, conviction this is what so, i'm into and yeah. this is different and this is what needs to happen whether yeah. you're it's going to be accepted from your bosses or not exactly you, you're not going to be the authority yeah. but like yeah. you're going to have to defend everything you put in that magazine so if you don't care about it how can you defend it it's it's kind of funny that we're talking about this because real life you know people don't see this uh, infighting, right? Like the, 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 the battle you were having with Neil Ridgway over photos and then like your decisions that, you know, people hire you and to make decisions and make calls and, and you w want that responsibility, right? Until you have it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I hear But isn't it cool to like think back like, holy shit, I'm running a magazine at 20 years old and I'm in charge. Dude, some of the best memories of my life are from that magazine. Like I used to get a bus an hour away to go to the office. It was in the city. So I'd leave the beach and in the dark, get on a bus, go into the city, ride my skateboard through like King's Cross and the full seedy parts of Sydney as like people are coming out of nightclubs on like a Monday morning from being up all night Sunday, go to the office, just put Surf Stoke into an office building in the city to wow. make a magazine and like the things that I, I was so passionate about, like yeah. I was making no money. I was probably like literally going backwards to do that job, to just be able to like afford to stay at my house and all the rest. But the passion that I gained from that and the friendships that I gained and the trips that I got to go on, yeah. literally I wouldn't be sitting here today, yeah. 25 years later, had I not taken that job. So let's but, talk about that, that cover, right? So it hits the, the stands. What was the reception? You remember? I was so terrified that I don't know. I don't even remember. Because you got to remember, by the time that first mag had come out, 
I'd already finished the next one yeah. and I was yeah. already planning the next yeah. like two beyond that. So I think I was terrified that there was evidence that it was a sham and I shouldn't be in the job <laughs> because like yeah. here's evidence that like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. But, but obviously it was well received. I don't know if that first one, like when I look back, that first one doesn't get me stoked. Like I don't remember too much in that that was special, but like I said, I'd already done the next one. Yeah. And I think by that point I'd started to figure out how to kind of put a bit of planning ahead of time, not just be reactionary to this stuff's on your desk and make it fit into the jigsaw of a magazine. Yeah. I started kind of sending a certain photographer with a certain group of people on a trip and asking a better writer than myself to get involved and put a story yeah. together. And like, I remember getting Jamie Brissick involved to write a, like a profile on Brad Gerlach from the U S and wow. like getting, starting to realize I don't have to do all the work by myself because that's just going to make a bad magazine. Yeah. Like I'm not the best writer. I'm not the, I don't have all the connections, but yeah. other people that I can connect to can connect to these people. And yeah. suddenly you just start building a web of contacts that you can turn to for many different things. So then, each magazine got better and better because I had better ingredients and my job as the editor yeah. was to kind of like, how do you make something decent out of these ingredients? That's yeah. beautiful. It's, it's cool that having a passion or, or trying something makes you take risk without like worrying about it as much. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's like you would, you love surfing. You got this opportunity and you're like, you know what? Like if I fell, I fell, but like I'm into this. This is what I like. Yeah. So, sure. you know, most likely you're going to succeed when you're passionate about it or figure out how to make it work. I know? was just so young too. Like yeah. when I look back, like I was 20, 21 yeah. editing that magazine, like money, what didn't, I didn't care at all about money. Literally within the first month of having, and I, I know how much I was getting paid, like not enough to pay the gas I spend here each week yeah. in my car. But the, the first month of that job, I went to the bank and I took out a loan and bought an apartment because I, like, I had money coming to my bank and I was like, I don't even need this money. Like I, I, all I want to do is surf and go to work. Like yeah. I wanted to go to work so badly because I just wanted to do a good job. Oh, I, had this, I bought an apartment in Avalon um, and I didn't live in it. I bought it to rent it and that got me ahead. Like I, I've done okay in my life financially, not through the jobs I've had and the income, but just through buying some real estate and kind of, yeah, got lucky. See, there's where the late night and Jesse Fain story coincide. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, gotta have backup plan. Gotta have some uh, some assets, bro. Well, so, I remember like at this era is when I met Jay. Like Jay came yeah. to my house, and then we went on a trip up to Newcastle. Yeah, I can't remember who Noodles so you, was probably you were on that. For the magazine. Then? Yeah, I think yeah. it was like, I think it was me, June, and Benji, yeah. and Clonnie might have been yeah. with us. For yeah. sure. Yeah, I remember you tripping like this guy's the editor of freaking Waze Magazine? No, I, I mean, I was just we, grown, we were like, just yeah. friends. Like, he yeah. lived right at Narrabeen. Like, we'd cr throw our stuff at his house and go surf, come back. It wasn't like, oh, this guy's a, a mad guy. And we're yeah. we're going to get hooked. It was just, we're just... It, it didn't surf like, bombs. If did, I think of a wait, magazine did today... Did he get a shot in the waves ever? I'm sure he did. I don't, I don't know. Maybe. I don't... Well, I remember a trip, like, <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day because I saw an old photo of Shay Lopez that I ran in a mag at one of those first ones. And, and he was a friend staying with me. So for sure, like you meet people and you're yeah. hanging around them and yeah. then the photographers are around. Solid. It's yeah. not even about you thinking that you're trying to help anyone in particular. It's just, that's who you're for exposed sure. to. And the yeah, photos yeah. show up and it's like, yeah, you have a connection with those people. But it's funny. Cause like, if I think of a magazine today, I'm like, Oh, that's like a revered, like something special. 
But yeah. back then it was like, I was just a grom. I was yeah, like, yeah. I just wanted to go surf. And if yeah. that was helping me go surf with people that I respected and looked up to, I was even more stoked. Yeah, I think we we're just groms and friends and stoked us to go surf and, yeah. and cruise around. Like, I remember, you know, the contests weren't really at Narrabin, you know, like the QSs and stuff. But I remember that area because we did our high school surf team uh, trips to Australia and we pretty much went from Wollongong all the way up to Noosa, you know, yeah. and stopped in all these towns. And I remember Narrabin and Avalon in this little like community. I'm like, if I'm coming back to Australia to go do some traveling and do some contests, like I'm going to come hang out in this spot. I remember spot. meeting Pat O'Connell and Casey Curtis through one of those like exchange like, yeah. school surfing event thing. They were staying with Bo uh, Young at Monavale and we'd all go surf at Bungin and then Narrabeen and yeah. But at 15, I think ninth, you know, I was super young, but you know, little Grom from HB. And then we started meeting up all these other rippers, noodles and, you know, like top prestige and Danny will, I mean, all of us were around the same age and we're like 15 year old Groms. And then a few years later we come back to, you know, compete and, now all these guys, you know, it's like, oh, I remember you. You were like that hottest 15-year-old and 14-year-old in that town. And Super it was cool. cool. But that area was just like so memorable. I'm like, oh, I got to come back and hang out. Yeah. Yeah. So how long was the Waves uh, job? Two years. I did that for two years. And towards the end of it, Steve Zeldin, who was at Surfing Magazine, he had asked me, we had met in Hawaii, like I'd gone to Hawaii each year for waves. And so I'd started to meet the surfing crew and the surfer crew. And Steve and I became friends and he asked me if I'd be interested to write a story. I believe it was about a Newcastle WQS event for surfing magazine. So I did that. And then afterwards just started a conversation. He was like, man, would you ever think to, like he, I think I wrote another article, maybe two or three. And then he was like, Hey, would you ever consider coming over to the States and helping at the mag here? And I was at the time, I'd just gone through a breakup and I was like heartbroken and I was like, sure, like, let's get out of Australia. And I just like literally in a whim just was like, I'm going to resign. And I quit the job, moved to the States. I was 23 and I was like the senior editor at surfing magazine. So crazy. Damn. That was a huge wake up call though, because again, I'd been like a pretty much a one man show running waves. And it's like this little mag that I cared about. And it was like, yeah. it was respected, but it was a little mag with a yeah. tiny budget. I get to surfing mag and yeah. it's like, I'm walking through holy doors in like the surfing world, so where, to speak. Where were you living? San Clemente? Uh, initially I was staying with Steve Zeldin at his place down in like Lacadia. Oh, okay. And then I got, um, with, Sean Nielsen, uh, we became roommates at um, San Clemente, living on the loop there at State Park. Um, but I remember like working there, suddenly there's like, I mean, Steve was the editor at the time. I'm working with Skip Sneed. There's Flame downstairs, the photo editor. I mean, like... Full team. Oh, yeah. Graffy, yeah, Lynchy. You got like, your, your, your advertising department. You Bob McNona. Like, so, I mean, yeah, it's like a whole team. Yeah. And like feeling like... But keep in mind, like, then I had an office. Like I actually had like a big office, and I'm like, this is crazy. My whole role? magazine. I was the senior editor to begin, um, so it was like basically Skip and I. And then pretty soon into being there, Steve um, left. So once he wasn't there, it was just Skip and I. And then they were trying to figure out who was going to be the editor, and that's when I left to work for the tour. Right at that point, like so, I was only at Surfing Magazine for about it one year, and. At the time, well, I might be getting ahead of ourselves, but um, then I left to work for the ASP. Hmm. Yeah. What, what was the transition like with that from, from surfing to... 
To the ASP yeah. or to going to surfing? To to the ASP. To the ASP, that... Did you like working at Surfing Magazine? I did, but I didn't like living in San Clemente, to be mm-hmm. honest. Like, I was 23 and I just was kind of bored down there. Yeah. Um, I'd come from being in Australia where I was editing a magazine that was based in the city. So, like, every Friday night through the weekend, we're partying in the city and I was young and like, yeah. like ecstasy was on there's the scene a, and there's yeah. girls everywhere. <laughs> a lot of, yeah, a lot of alternatives. Like there, there, was just, there was a lot of nighttime fun going on in Sydney at that point. And then I moved to San Clemente and it's Sleeper. like, everyone's literally taking sleeping pills, it seems like. And yeah. I'm like, dude, I was losing my mind. I was like, I want to surf. And there was waves at trestles, but I was like driving up to LA just to go to nightclubs. I remember going to like the Viper Room like driving up there because I just like wanted to see some culture as well yeah. and going to yeah. Mexico to surf and, and I just kind of had itchy feet the entire time. Like okay. I got to do a few trips for Surfing Mag. Like I went to Guadalupe for the QS and actually went in the QS event over in Guadalupe, but I went to uh, Hawaii for the mag, but I pretty much spent the whole time in the magazine looking at photos of like you and all the boys traveling all around the world. And I was like, I want to get on that program. And Obviously, I already had connections with the ASP, but... And Al Hunt and like whoever. And well, just... Graham Stapleberg was the CEO of the ASP at the time. And I remember, I don't know if I'd just seen him in Hawaii, but I, I reached out and I was like... And at the time, I was actually um, dating Megan Abubo. So <laughs> Megan and I had just kind of hung out a little bit in Hawaii. Super rad girl. And like I was hanging out with her and Rochelle. And Rochelle was on the ASP board at the time. Yeah. And they kind of mentioned to me, oh, yeah, we're looking to like get a person to be the representative of the surfers on the tour. And they were like, you should like think about that. And I was like, yeah. well, are they asking if I want to do it? And then I spoke to Graham Stapleberg. And he was like, yeah, we're thinking about creating this role. And you'd be the perfect kind of guy for surfers it. Surfers rep. Surfers rep. Yeah. And um, so anyway, that conversation led to them creating that role um, and offering me the job. And at the time, it was not a logical step to make. Like surfing magazine was a big deal. Yeah. Good pay, Work, stable, stable, benefit, respected, everything. all of that. Yeah. Working on the tour, like ASP tour back then wasn't respected. Those were still yeah. raw. Like it, no, the, it wasn't the dream tour. It, no. This was before they were going to like... Fiji and like Chopu, this was like you're going to like Chiba, you're going yeah. to Huntington, you're going to like yeah, Manly. Rio, you're going 100%. to 100%. It was beach break, Lockenau. get down, get yeah. the crowds on the beach, and the surfers were just all over it. So, my job was to try to help unite the surfers and help them have a voice so the tour would kind of learn how to evolve with what the surfers really wanted and be that kind of Liaison. Yeah, liaison between the surfers, the sponsors that obviously had certain expectations, the media and what they needed, what the organization was trying to do, and just try to help build better communication. And so... And this is pre, like, you know, I mean, there was some filming of the events that you could kind of, you know, some people would pick up, but there was no internet. No, no there was no webcast. No no. webcast. That all came about while I was there. Yeah, so. so you had, like sponsors that wanted a lot of people on the beach buying product looking at like the logo all you know and the surfers wanted good waves yeah you know? wanted it in populated areas yeah yeah the surfers okay. were pissed because they're like leaving places like travel halfway around the world to go surf a two-foot beach exactly. break is not ideal and there, yeah there weren't waiting periods it was just like you go you surf you win or you lose and it's like on to the next and people were just burning through that and like getting burnt and hating it and with a lot of good reason. Like obviously everyone was always doing the best they could at the time, but it, 
time started changing. And then like, that's when like Peter Whitaker and Bugs ended up getting involved with the ASP and the Dream Tour kind of started coming together. And I got really lucky to be there as that evolved. And then like Mono Zool and that, like the web team came together and started doing like the web, like the whole webcast came about, yeah. like with like live streaming. And then like suddenly it wasn't all about what, it's funny because like I worked in the magazines when we'd like send a photographer and a writer to write a story or put an article together about a contest happening on the other side of the world that you would have no idea about until after the fact. Yeah, so suddenly, print, went to print two months later. You're like, yeah, and like you, you would get like a half page thing. So like all these pro surfers and companies are putting all this money and their time into going somewhere that a magazine would come out and be like a little like column yeah. would be the representation of it. Suddenly it evolved to where there's events happening in like Tabarua or like Chopu and like yeah. so there's a live webcast. you for all that. Not at all. <laughs> I got so lucky he, to he, be he, there. I got right to time. Catch, yeah, right place, right time. Yeah. And got to, I got know. to witness that transition. Was the pay good? For the tour? Yeah. For my job, you mean? Yeah. Um, if, uh, yeah, for me, for the, again, I was 23. Yeah. 23, 24, actually. But your pay at Surfing Magazine must have been pretty damn good too, right? You know, to be honest, I think the pay was exactly the same, but the benefits were 10 times better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I suddenly spent the next 10 years, more or less, or eight, nine years traveling the world for 10 or 11 months of the year. All that was paid for. Yeah. Whatever they were paying me was just going into my bank. that long? I, I was on tour for eight years. Damn. Yeah. What was your favorite uh, destination? Uh, Surf. And then we'll talk about culture. Because <laughs> that's a two-part question. God, I mean... <laughs> The waves that come to mind, for sure, restaurants and ta like at yeah. Tavi, like that wave is just so dreamy. I've but, never been. But I mean, so I'm the type of surfer that has fun anywhere. Like Jay yeah. Bay is amazing. All the yeah. obvious ones are what they are, yeah. amazing. Yeah. But I don't remember going anywhere that I didn't have fun surfs. Like yeah. even you go like beach break in Brazil, you're going to have a great time. Go to like somewhere in France, like yeah. there's always it's good always waves. Fun. Like yeah. I, I've never thankfully been a surfer that needed the waves to be like this to enjoy it. It's like yeah. if I'm in the waves, I'm having a good time, period. That's good. Like did you that. actually work though? I did. I worked a lot. I was super busy. <laughs> that like, because I wasn't the surfer liaison beyond that first year. Then I was the media director. So for mm. seven years, I was the media director for the tour. So, I mean, I had deadlines all day long every day I, I mean I worked like crazy but I was in the best office to work like crazy like yeah. if I was up before everyone else I'd get a couple waves of JB and J Bay sorry and then I'd be working all day long watching it and writing about it but then like we'd have a lay day and I'd get to surf perfect wave somewhere yeah. so no complaints like yeah. that I worked a lot like it was a really busy job but I mean but I was on in your paradise. On, yeah but you, you know not an eight to five in a, in a cubicle. You were no, able to do it. At, they were like 12 hour days, but it was like, yeah, I was, didn't seem I was like sitting on the beach. Yeah, I'm on a boat at Chopu. I'm like on the beach at Hosagor. I'm like yeah. at yeah. the Superbank. Like I, I got to live the dream for yeah. sure. That's insane. You yeah. were, you were a world tour surfer. Without I mean, having to put a singlet on. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was such a privilege because yeah. you want every hit. <laughs> I, I definitely got to celebrate every night. <laughs> like every night of the week, there's events going on at those events. And if you're competing the next morning, you can't be out late. I didn't have to. <laughs> yeah. I got to enjoy both Good sides night. of it. <laughs> yeah. Good night, guys. Yeah. Pretty much. I got to get that uh, article. You know, I got to start writing about, yeah, tomorrow. I'll get to tomorrow. A lot of good memories. So that's and a lot freaking... of memories that are hard to remember. Yeah. 
Well, that's amazing. Like you did that for eight years. Yeah, I mean, so I was at the magazines for a couple of years and or three years, um, two in Australia, one up surfing, and then yeah, eight years on tour. What? Where were you? Where was home base? California. Initially, it was in San Clemente. Um, sorry, no, San Clemente when I was at surfing. surfing. Then I moved to Laguna Beach when I got the ASP job and. Uh, was based out of there because the ASP was based out of Irvine at the time, um, which I'll never forget because it was right under the flight path at like John, what is it? John, John, Wayne. John Wayne. Yeah. So like you'd touch the walls in that building and get electrocuted all the time. Like, like so much static Sorry. electricity in the office. But after that first year, I realized it made no difference where I was coming back to. So I literally wrote a letter of resignation, even though I loved my job and I didn't want to leave it. But I was like, spending 10 or 11 months a year traveling. And I remember writing a letter to, I think to G and to Peter Whitaker just saying like, I love this job. I want to keep doing it. But like for that one month of the year that I'm not on tour, I want to be seeing my family. Like I want to be back in Australia. And if that means I can't do this job, I guess uh, I kind of threw it out there. And then they ended up letting me relocate. So I got to relocate back to Australia, be on tour the whole time, but then just work from home. Cause at that point, internet had kind of come in a bit where we could email, um, and then good fortune just favored me and the whole tour, I mean, the whole office moved to the Gold Coast. Huh. So that same year when I left, they ended up moving the office to the Goldie. I think Jesse's onto something. I think, <laughs> I, you know what? Irvine's not that killer. I mean, Irvine, like, eh, you Australia, know what? I don't know. I'd rather, yeah, go surf the Superbank. Yeah, I was, I didn't see that coming. I literally thought I was going to lose my dream job, but... Luckily, they gave me the freedom to go back because, yeah. I mean, we were all traveling so much. It really made no difference, yeah. but I just didn't know if they would back me. And when they moved to the Goldie, I was in Sydney based at my mom's house again. But pretty soon after they moved to the Goldie, I moved up to the Goldie. Like, I think first trip up there to see them, I was like, man, this place is amazing. I, I need to be living up here. So so being a surfer's rep, who, who's the prima donna on tour or <laughs> prima donnas? Who, who was always... A you pain. know, a well, pain or opinionated or... We can talk shit now. They look, probably won't listen to it. <laughs> Kelly. Mean, Kelly. No, look. <laughs> Kelly. Oh, come on. <laughs> Kelly was... I mean, look, we all know Kelly being how successful he is. Like, he was on a different realm. Like, he had yeah. so much people wanting a piece of him, oh, as he could, still does. Yeah. So how he managed that, I, I still don't understand. Like, what a complicated thing to have to manage with your yeah. fan expectations, media obligations, sponsorship requirements, Crazy. and just friends and fans, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but when I first started on tour, like it was a different era. Like yeah. it was like Sunny Changing Garcia. of the old guard to the momentum generation. For it was sure. definitely like... Yeah, Damien Harmon was on tour and yeah, Rob Bain when I first you're started. You're just lucky uh, Richie Collins wasn't on tour because he would have <laughs> he would have had an earful. Yeah. <laughs> love I mean, you, Richie. We had like the one of the early memories being on the tour was like the year that Sonny won his world title and like so him and Luke Egan were really going at it all year. So like there was like those guys are big personality people. Yeah. Like and so I was in the middle of them and like having to like go interview them after heats, win or lose and like so like you would see the, the good and the bad. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize uh those were part of the things you had to do. Oh, 100%. Well, you had to get content. Yeah. 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 I mean, when I was the representative, that was an easier gig because I was just basically trying to get them all to be in the same place and to like get votes on different decisions and like try to get communication. When I started doing the media role, that's when I literally had to be the guy putting a like 
tape recorder underneath like Sonny after he lost a heat and like Andy throughout Andy's whole time on tour like watching guys like smash surfboards if they're losing and having to walk up to them and be like yeah Man, I don't want to be this guy but like we've got to go do an interview on TV right now and so yeah. did, so, did you see uh, witness that that um, fight between was it Michael Campbell and Andy at, yeah and Hossiger <laughs> yeah yeah I watched the whole thing and had to talk to them both after it yeah that's so crazy yeah. I can't believe you remember yeah that, that was so what did uh, ha- what happened in that heat I don't remember the details of what happened in the heat. I'm pretty sure it stemmed over from what had happened at Huntington in the US Open, the okay. contest before, because they were in the final against each other, the the event before. So I think something had happened during that. Okay. So there was already some like personal tension. Yeah. And I mean, they were both like confident, Snappy, yeah. aggressive, yeah. like strong guys and like weren't about to back down their personality for someone else. So like, I don't know Did what happened. Did you see a lot of that? Um, not a lot, yeah. but it was there for sure. Yeah. Like, the, I mean, the, anyone who's winning world titles or winning events is definitely not always making friends. Yeah, yeah, you got to be a dick. You, you've you've got to care about yourself more than you care about the guy you're in a heat against. Yeah, yeah. like in the heat. Like, That's not to say that I don't respect each other and yeah. like hugs and all that afterwards. But you during gotta, the heat, you gotta turn the, the, yeah, the like switch. Medina's not like winning events because he's like giving his guy the best wave of the heat. Right. Like, it's yeah. the same mentality. You got to want to win it to win a. But that's that's what's frustrating sometimes on on like watching the content now. It's like, oh, he's such a dick. But then you talk to all the people on tour and it's like, dude, that guy is so chill and so fun to hang out with. And he's like such an awesome dude. But yeah. people are like, oh, I can't. I'm all, do you remember when Kelly palled around Shane Beshin like, and snaked him in the U.S. Open to win? Like, that that's what winners do. Yeah. Damian Hardman taking off in the whitewater at Narrabeen to yeah, freaking Tom burn Carroll. Tom Carroll yeah. to win a world title. Like, that's what it's yeah. going to take. And people just, you know. Exactly. Yeah. And if I'm you're, all, that was <laughs> yeah, I was there that day. I remember. Like, That's so rad. Yeah, that was heavy because like I was from Narrabeen. It was like somewhat of like you, you weren't stoked that that was happening, but yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. like that's a whole that's a thing. Like you can be a great surfer, that doesn't mean you're a great competitive surfer because yeah. you gotta have you gotta have that like ruthless like yeah. want to win at any cost yeah. thing to be a champion. Like yeah. doesn't mean you have to. Larson's be... not ruthless at all. Late, late night was never ruthless. <laughs> that's what I'll split the pee with you, bro. <laughs> but it's funny because there's definitely surfers who win. Like I don't think of Tom Curran as that guy. Right. He was not Maybe he was because I wasn't there. But like when I think of him, I don't think of him being the guy that was like burning someone yeah. no he was a silent but deadly like yeah. he, Just, he he mind controlled people yeah. too yeah it takes a lot of different types for sure that's cool so i mean i mean what what like i mean on those being the surfer's rep was it also like hey we need better accommodations like we need you know like better organized you know like for sure it wasn't just you know destination like hey we want to move this venue here but we want to like have yeah i became the person that the surfers would vent their frustration yeah. to and so that was weird for me because i yeah. went from being at the magazines where they loved me i'd be the guy that helped them get their career some yeah. more attention and so they had them a complaint it was going to you for sure and then, you and would then have i'd to... have to try to have those conversations with the asp board and the sponsors and yeah. and so like i found myself very often yeah. like kind of the person no one wanted to hear what i had to say because yeah. i was saying the things that people weren't happy about yeah so but luckily, like I, because I came from a media background with the magazines, and at the time, Jody, um, 
Jodie Young be, was like pregnant. Um, so, and she was the media director for the ASP at the time. So I ended up kind of doing her job a lot of the time that year anyway, because she was not able to travel when she was having a kid. Um, and then once she had her kid, she stopped traveling. So then they asked if I wanted to take over that role. So very soon I transitioned into just handling the media, which yeah. is more cut and dry what I'm doing. Yeah. It's not like I don't have to listen to your complaints all day long. Like yeah. I'll, I will, but like I'm not the one who's going to fix them. So go tell someone else. Yeah. But I will talk to you about whether you want your heat. Yeah. And what, but that, that position on. stayed and it still continues today. Like the surfers rap and stuff, right? Well, it morphed into then they created the, uh, what was it? The WPS. So like Kieran Perot and like all that became like those guys. Yeah. For, and they created their own, um, basically their own committee of surfers to have a voice, which yeah. was needed. So they started getting more prize money and better kind of conditions. And yep. I mean, a lot of factors go into any of those kind of changes. It's not like any of the people on the tour or any of the sponsors didn't want to see better outcomes, but it's just like, it takes a lot of people talking and yeah. some And friction. people that have been on tour and experience and those that exactly. have like, Hey, you know, this is where you, we need improvements. And exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, I think sometimes people... It's really easy when you're anonymous behind a keyboard to like talk shit about the tour or, or an event and, and the judges and lose sight of the fact that everyone in all those roles love surfing the same yeah. as everyone else. Like yeah. they're super, they're more passionate than most people because they've yeah. made their life wanting to be around that all yeah. the time. So everyone has the same goal, but it's yeah, it's a journey for things to evolve and get to better places. Yeah. So Did everybody travel on the same kind of uh, not schedule, but. Uh... Airlines, and airlines, and all that. Yeah, Depends on the destination. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, there's only certain flights at certain places, and some you're like, well, I don't have. I could go a week early or a week later or whatever. Exactly. But some tours were like, you're literally on one flight, and then the next week you're on another flight because that's all there is. Yeah. Yeah. So, what happened after WSL? After WSL is when my next job was Insight. So I had been on tour a long time. I just finished building a house in Chile. While I was on tour, I bought land down there, slowly started building a house. Big brain how, did you, on Jesse. how did you find Chile? <laughs> well, this is a whole nother story. We're going off on a yeah. tangent. Um, I owe thanks to Derek Hind for that. Derek was, back in the day, Derek was the marketing guy for Ripco. Yeah. So he basically, I don't know if it was just him, but at his time, the search campaign came about. Yeah. And so they were basically looking for good ways that weren't on the pro tour and the whole, yeah. that kind of program. They need that back. <laughs> um, so Derek had been sent a VHS videotape of the zone down in Southern Chile where um, I have my place. And he was very kind of gracious enough to show me this videotape. And this is back before Chile was at all on the surfing map. Yeah. Like it, it's still hardly because it's so remote and it's so cold and it's far away from everyone. But back then there was no surfing going on down there. But this video just showed me a bunch of waves and I was just like jaw dropping, like, oh my God, it was just like point after point after point and no one around, no houses even around, just like empty land, perfect waves. Yeah. And Derek told me he was going in on a project with a guy down there and I just like, made the random comment like yeah if, if an opportunity ever comes up to get something near you guys let me know a year later derek at the time he was traveling on the tour doing um, like he was writing for mags he was making a movie i think it was called the is hmm. or he was talking about doing a tour but he yeah. made a pro surfing video um, i think it was called pro surfing i can't yeah, remember, I don't what it was remember. Called. but um at the time so i was seeing derek quite a bit and he basically um 
and I stayed at his house at J Bay around that time too. But so we were good friends, but he, he, yeah, a year later called me and was like, Hey, the guy I built, like I'm building a place with has a bit of land nearby if you want to buy it. And I literally bought it without even ever having been to the country. Wow. I just was like, didn't even haggle for the price. I just said, okay, sent the money. Luckily I had the money in my bank, sent the money. And I think like a few months later, flew to Chile for the first time and looked at a bit of dirt and was like, huh. Okay, that's mine. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> so, right on the beach. Yeah. Right on the beach. Like Damn. overlooking a beach. So I all I knew was it was on the coast and it was like walking distance to where Derek's place was gonna be. Yeah. Um, and that's all I knew. But, that's all you needed. You know, like if this guy signed up and I trust him, like this is gonna be legit. Yeah, I mean it was definitely naivety on my yeah. part. Like I, I paid more than I should have. I, I probably wouldn't have bought the land I did had I ever gone there. But I know if I'd gone there first, I wouldn't have bought anything. Yeah. I would have talked myself out of it. I would have given myself all the logical reasons why it made no sense to buy land in a country where you don't live. That's a long way away. You don't speak the language and how in the world are you going to make this work? Yeah. But I was traveling around the world nonstop at that point on the ASP's dime yeah. going like I'm saving money. I'm not spending it. And I was so tr like, I was just on that merry-go-round going to all these amazing places, but places that people were going. And I was kind of like, man, I'd love to have a retreat. I'd love to go somewhere where it's not like where everyone else is going. Yeah. And so Chile was perfect for that because it was like off the cold, path, off like, the grid, yeah. just a place where I knew if I go there, I'll, I won't be connected. I won't have a phone, won't have internet, won't have TV. I'll surf. And that's what that experience so your idea was like, years. I'll have a place. I'll probably go down a month out of, out of the year or a few weeks or a couple trips a year. And yeah, I don't think I had too much of a plan or idea initially. It was just, it was a romantic idea. It yeah. was like, man, you, the idea of buying. Were you always intent on building a, a, a house on it? Not initially. Like I knew that would be Eventually. hopefully something I'd get the opportunity to do, but I didn't even start building for probably two to three years, probably three years at least. Um, Initially, I would just go and stay at the people that I had met's house and score these amazing waves and just kind of leave there going, wow, like, how did I get so lucky to like learn that there are places that are available to go surf by yourself in perfect waves? And yeah. like, you have to work for it. Like, it'd be like a 24 hour flight to get there, a long drive and freezing water and no one around to tell you what to do. But like, I've driven the entire, um, like literally from the bottom of Patagonia up to Ecuador, like that whole coastline and surfed the entire way. Wow. So like there's so much coast around this world that no one's even thinking of. Yeah. And I got lucky to just kind of put my little dot of a flag in one tiny place of that and use that as a base. So every time I would go to Chile, I would just go explore, like whether it was two hours down the coast or 12 hours down the coast, I would just drive up and down. Like I'd go there for a couple of weeks and just dr explore and just, find new waves and surf places so cool. no one had ever surfed and yeah. it's so amazing well because the magazines you you your editors would only like you know tropical and boat trips and yeah. this you know there there is a lot more now going into the yeah it's you know it's kind of changed you know but sure. you know that selling that like surfing dream and warm and tropical and turquoise water you know that was what the magazines were thriving on yeah. and that's what looked cool and it was easy, but yeah, like well, you said, there's a lot of other spots, tons of coastline that just are unexposed yeah. or, you know, colder, maybe yeah. not as desirable. It's not as easy to get to. There's no surf camp and yeah, but yeah, I think, you, man. I think that year I spent traveling around the world just opened my eyes to 
the rewards you get by putting a little effort in to go off the beaten track. Yeah. I think that's like what I took away from that year. It's like the main things that stood out to me from that year were the places that I didn't expect to find, but I just stumbled upon because I like got up that day and gone, I'll, I'll just go down this road and see what that takes yeah. me to. And I'll go hang out with this stranger and see what that leads to. It's yeah. like, I've always been really interested in other people and their stories and yeah. want to go meet their friends and their towns. And, and that just, I, I, the world has become a smaller place because I've been wanting to explore it. You're, you're the epitome of nomadic surfer. Yeah, I, but I just got so lucky that I like I got to like yeah. and still get to and like and have a daughter that gets to and who's called Gypsy. Like I mean, like literally, my daughter's just turned ten and she's been to like fourteen countries. That's so amazing. and surfed in most of them. Like yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, spoil the kids these days. Yeah, I mean it blows so my mind. You have a house there built now. Yep. And how often do you go? At least you're... I mean, I can't even go there now with this whole oh, COVID yeah, situation, true. but. I was lucky to go there at the end of last year, the beginning of this year. Yeah. I was, oh, end of last year. I was there in December. Summer there. Yeah. So I got to spend time with my neighbor and really fortunately, cause he just passed away and he built my house for me and yeah. he was like my family. He's like my looks after the property and everything kind of, well, he helped make it possible. He, when I met him, I didn't even meet him for a few years into having my land next to him. But when yeah. I actually went up and knocked on his door and met this guy, he changed my world down there. He like welcomed me in his family. I would stay with him. So like I would go on these trips to Chile and everyone would be thinking, I'm just going there and surfing my brains out, yeah. which I'd get good surf every trip. But most of the time when I'd go there, I'd be like hanging out with at the time, like an 80 year old man, just hearing stories of his life and like becoming yeah. close to this person. And, and he like what helped his, me. His name? Alvaro. 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 Yeah, so Alvaro would just like, he helped me realize the potential to build a place on this land because he, super creative. Um, what did he do for, for work? He had done a lot of things. He had um, worked, he was uh, in the Navy for, I mean, from the age of 14, he was in the Chilean Navy for, I think, like 30 years. Wow. Um, but he had been, he'd worked on oil rigs around the world, like in Brazil and in the US. Um, and he had done a lot of different things, but... Ultimately, he had built his house in this remote part of Chile by himself. And so when I met him and saw his house, I remember looking around his house going, man, this place is amazing. And it was so different to all the other houses of the area. And he was like, yeah, well, I built it. And I was like, oh, really? Like, how about my land right next door? Any chance we could do something? And so like, we just became like dear friends and he helped make that possible. So That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, and the coolest thing about that, and I know we've gone on a tangent, but when I bought that land in Chile, I had no idea what that was going to become. It was just like a romantic idea of like, oh, I own some land in South America. Like, yeah. And that's a good story at the very least. Yeah. But what it became. Well, I mean, what it became that was so special is I built this place that most other surfers that like we had known traveling around the world and like that I'd gotten to meet in all these different countries, I suddenly had a place that I could invite yeah. all these people to a place that they probably never would have gone. And I've had literally hundreds of friends from around the world go and stay there, even when I'm not there, like at this house in a little remote part of the world that they never would have thought of. And yeah. that just, that makes me super proud to know that my neighbor helped that come That's together. So Cause yeah. like I've got guest books there and like, the types of people that have written journal entries in those guest books, that's priceless to me. Like yeah. whatever I've spent to build that. Someday late so night with chocolate will have it. Uh... We'll have to do a, a feed from there one day. <laughs> and it's just, it's a special part of the world. Like beautiful people, some great waves, 
but it's just really remote and it's like going to California back in like the who knows like I wasn't 30s. here in the 30s and 40s but it's like yeah. beautiful coastline a lot of waves you got to work for it there's lots of elements but yeah at the right time you're scoring world class waves and yeah it's an adventure side of you know like kind of having that that surfers you know you know instinct of yeah. I want to go explore I want to go find like an empty line it might not be I mean obviously there's world class waves down there and stuff but just just that excitement of going around the corner, around the bend, around the headland, and just knowing what yeah. what's on the other side—is there yeah. more waves? Like yeah, and this is all like all my early trips there. There was no surf forecasting. There was yeah. no, like I literally would just be whenever I could get a ticket, go. Yeah. Whenever I was there, wake up early it's and one just most, drive. It's one of the most consistent coastlines in the world right? for swell, yeah. for swell. But yeah. for it gets weather. a lot of weather too, yeah, a lot of weather. and the zone where my place is is pretty consistent, fortunately. But like. Like I said, I've driven the entire coastline of Chile yeah. and there's so many ways, but like you can be skunked nine times out of 10. Like if you yeah. just happen to be there the wrong time, wrong day. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a big, long coastline. Yeah. Awesome. All right, let's go back to insight then. Insight. You're in Australia. Yep. Well, you know, I was actually in Chile. So what happened, I was at my neighbor's 80th birthday, Alvaro's birthday party. And at the time I was still on the tour but I was celebrating my neighbor's 80th birthday and I'd been on tour for eight years already. And I was just like, you know what? I'm kind of done. Like yeah. I, I don't really have that same passion to get on a plane and go to the, the same merry-go-round of like awesome locations, awesome events. There was nothing negative, but I just had kind of had enough of that. And, yeah. and I was sitting there with my neighbor, my house was built and I was like, man, I just want to stay here. Like, I, like, why not? Why don't I just have a year living in Chile? So that's what I made the decision to do. And at the time, I was also writing for Transworld Surf. And I remember Transworld, I went back to Australia. Transworld sent me on a trip to Western Australia to write a story. And while I was there, Insight contacted me because I was friends with the crew from Insight in Australia. And I had been with them at a trade show one time down at ASR, down in San Diego. Just like I was there because the tour was in town at Trestles and they were doing a booth at the show. They didn't have any representation in the US, but they were just kind of putting their kind of feel foot in the water just to like feel out what the opportunity was. They knew there was an opportunity, but they had no relationships, no US like staff or anything. So they reached out to me and they were like, hey. Who was uh, behind it? Who was who were the principals? Well, there was a few. I mean, Andrew Downs, um, Drew Downs, who had had the surfboard label and still does. Um, he was one of the founders of the clothing aspect. Then there was George Goro, who also started a brand called Suvi, but he was involved at Insight in, he was like the art director and helped build the whole clothing aspect of it. There was another guy, Mark Byers, who was the CFO. Um, and there was Sky McRae, who was the marketing um, girl at the time. And they basically started trying to figure out how, how do they come into the US? How do they launch? And so they contacted me. I was in Western Australia a week away from moving to Chile. Like I'd already, quit the tour and I was about to go to Chile and basically they said, Hey, can we fly you down to Sydney and just talk to you about an idea we have for insight and you? And I was like, okay, like I'm about to go to Chile, but I'll happily come to Sydney and see you guys flew down. And they were like, they didn't kind of give me the heads up beforehand what they were going to say. And I was really not sure what it could be, but they were like, we want you to start the brand for us in the U S and I was kind of, again, it was like one of those moments where I thought there was like a camera 
filming me and it was a big joke that they were going to say, we're joking. Like, how could you, cause like I had no background. I'd never worked in retail. I'd never worked in fashion. I'd never worked in, I'd never run a company other than like editing a magazine. Yeah. Which but, was running the company pretty much. Yeah. But I didn't have to worry about the financial side of things yeah. at all at the magazine. Or it was logistics like, or anything. You did it and then shipped it off and it got distributed. And yeah. I, I learned how to manage people and I learned how to deal with like a lot of moving parts, but I didn't have to like, I didn't have to worry about the the money side, which yeah. is a big part of running a business. Yeah. And so when they offered me to do that, and again, even at Insight, I didn't really so have what, to run. what was your role? GM of, of... Yeah, initially I was the GM. Like the CEO was the title, but it was like, it was me. There was no one else there. So like when I got here, I basically got off the plane in LA and originally they wanted me to set it up in San Clemente. But I, like I said, I lived in San Clemente. Yeah. So I had this negative impression of San Clemente for myself. Not that I don't like it, but I didn't want to live there. Yeah, yeah. a lot more culture. Well, I wanted more culture back when I was like 23, when I was working at Surfing Magazine. But at this point, I was just about to turn 30. And they were like, well, where do you want to run a thing? Because they offered me the job. And I was like, well, where are you guys going to base it? And they said, well, probably San Clemente and Orange County or where all the other brands are. And I, I kind of sat with it and I was like, I was like, guys, like I get it. Like that is where the industry is in the U S and, and maybe that makes perfect sense. But I was like, personally, I don't think it's right for insight and I know it's not right for me. So I was like, if you guys want to do that power to you, if I can help you, I'll connect you to whoever I can connect you with, but I don't want to do that. I've done yeah. that experience. And they were like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, look, I'm, I don't even like LA. But I think LA is where this brand needs to be based because it's a brand that has got fashion sense beyond just the surf culture. Yeah. It has a culture connected to the skate world. And it, it's just a brand that I, I imagine Insight should be more than perceived as just a surf brand. Yeah. And not that I have any, so, like surf is all I care about. But when I looked at that brand, because I'd grown up with it in Sydney and I was wearing the clothes already, it just it was a bit eccentric. It was different. And yeah. the creativity in the brand, I was a huge fan of, but I was like, to me, that's not just a surf brand. That's just a cool brand. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted insight to- You wanted to elevate it in a more like worldly, higher, not higher end, but higher taste. Yeah, I mean, the way I Where said it to them- surf turkey. Well, exactly. The way I said it to the, the office in Sydney at the time was like, hey, I don't want insight to be seen as this tiny little- brand trying to compete against these massive surf brands yeah i want it to be a cool brand off the side that gives us the chance to be ourselves and yeah. grow into surf but let's grow into fashion let's get into skate and so from day one i like i was lucky to get a lot of help and a lot of support like i, I remember like going to jack straight away going like who are some reps like i i'm by myself and i'm going to make this brand work but i need help so who yeah. do i get and so they connected me to some people. And then every person I would talk to, like I'd call Bob Hurley, who I'd met, but I didn't know these people. And I was this like non-existent brand, but I'd call Bob Hurley and I'd call like all the people in the industry I'd ever met through my time on the tour, like Wooly at Volcom. And like, I don't know if I reached out to Bob McKnight, but like I definitely was reaching out to people at Quicksilver. Like anyone I knew, I was like, yeah. I'm here, I need help. What can, how do I make this work? Where, where did you end up? Uh, opening office LA or Venice or in Venice yeah and the reason that came about was honestly one part of that was two parts I'd give credit to one was that movie Dogtown 
came out when I was still in Australia and I just thought, man, how cool is that Venice culture with Dogtown and like the surf culture there, but the skate culture, I was like, that is cool as shit. And yeah. I was like, I don't have anything to do with that, but I thought that's insight to me. Like there's yeah. this like punk undercurrent of insight that's super creative. That's kind of like got little snippets of a lot of other things, but a lot of history there. Yeah. And, and I, I cared about insight. Like I said, I, one of my first surfboards was an insight. So I already knew the brand and cared about it. But from a fashion sense, I was like, I want it to be seen as not just another surf brand. I want it to be seen as different. Yeah. So like, let's position ourselves different from the beginning. And they backed me. They were like, okay, wherever you think. Yeah. So like Dogtown had a big influence on me, but also I'm really good friends with Rob Trujillo, who's the bass player in Metallica. And mm -hmm. I'd met him in Australia at Sarge's 40th birthday party in Narrabeen, where I grew Sarge's up. Sarge's surfing scrapbook? Exactly. Oh Paul Sarge. And so best, some of the best movies ever. Well, his 40th birthday party, um, Trujillo was there and he was at the time, he had just left Suicidal Tendencies. He was in a band called Infectious Grooves. We met and got his like info and he's like, man, if you ever come to like LA, come to Venice, man, I'll show you around. Yeah. And like, didn't think much of it. I end up in LA a couple of years later and I end up meeting up with Jeremy Schultz, um, that you guys probably know from Surfing Mag or Surfer, like, and he was good friends with Rob too because he had, um, he had, funnily enough, he was like the nanny for Ozzy Osbourne. Like <laughs> basically looked after Ozzy Osbourne's kids for a while there. Sick. And Rob was the bass player with Ozzy Osbourne. So like they had become good friends. And so we met up with Rob and Rob ended up showing me around Venice. So this yeah. is back when I was at Waves Magazine. I'd had this one day tour around Venice where I like went to Rob's house, went down to the beach, like ate some food. And I just had this memory in my head of like Venice just being super gritty, yeah. which it was back then, but also having a surf culture that was under the radar. It wasn't in the mags, but yeah. it was there. Yeah. Having a skate culture that was respected, but not, but it was revered. Like it was yeah. like, there was yeah. some heavy shit there. Yeah. And I just, for whatever reason, when Inside asked me to do it, I was just like, man, Venice like is just, that's cool to me. Like yeah. it's, yeah. it's not getting recognition. It's the brand and, it, and, it, and there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of history and a lot of like greediness. Yeah. And it was before it became a hipster cool. place. Like yeah. Google wasn't there. Like no other brands way, were there. Way before. This was 15 years ago. Yeah. And so literally I got off a plane, had a backpack and stayed on my friend's couch in Venice for like six months, got an office down the street in Venice and got super lucky. Like I got an office next to... Um, it was called Fresh and Clean Media, which Shelby Mead ran. And I had met her in Fiji. She was Kelly's um, publicist, but she also did the publicity for like um, Perry Farrell and Jack Johnson and like so many, Ben Harper, all these amazing artists and surfers. And so she helped connect me to some people. Then Rob connected me to people like in the music world. And so like I'd start throwing parties in Venice and like we'd have like all the right people showing wow. up. And like that's how in LA where we had zero connection or reason to be successful. We just started getting worn and respected by the right kinds of people. And next second we're getting in the right stores and like yeah. in the Fred Siegels, in the American rags, in like urban outfitters in that genre, but then also like in the surf accounts. And yeah. then we got Justin Reynolds, thankfully, like I got the ability to meet him and hire him. And he was like our skate team manager and marketing guy. And he connected to me to a million people. Like yeah. Justin's amazing. Like he, um, it's crazy how interrelated we all are, you know? And but and when you start figuring that you're like, Holy shit, you know that guy? Yeah. We He's know the everybody. guy that created the music for I know. Our theme I hear song. that, yeah. Yeah. 
And, Justin's, uh, he's like one of my heroes. Like that guy, yeah. he's one of the coolest cats in the world and everyone, everything he does is solid and yeah. everyone he's friends with is solid and like, yeah. I always just feel like so privileged to we gotta call get, him a friend. We gotta get him on the show. Yeah. But it's just so crazy. Uh, Justin Reynolds, uh, Ty Williams. Yeah. Right? Um, I don't know who else, but Tons those of. two guys in particular are like, you know, connected to us and so connected to you. Yeah. I mean, Justin opened up so many U.S. Um, relationships for me. And like, I mean, he, we would do parties, which he was throwing. He was the DJ at it. He, I mean, he would bring all the right people, connect us to all the skate world. Like inside in Australia at the time, like skating was pretty small in Australia, period. But like Justin made us relevant in the skate world yeah, in yeah. the US and like got us the writers like Chad Tim Tim and yeah. like Jose Rojo and like just so many other people. But he just, he made us cool here. Yeah. Cause like I wasn't in the skate world. I wasn't that cool. I was this Australian surfer that came in that no one but knew. But you knew the brand needed to sit in that, not that market. And yeah. you, you know, you got, I had the right guy for it too. Justin helped tremendously. He, and he just, he wore he a lot a, of hats for you too. We right? all did. I mean, yeah. that's the reality. Like you guys all know, like we were a startup. So like I had the backing of Australia to go put inside in the U S and they had no idea how to do it. So they were like, you figure it out. And I was, I guess, smart enough to know I needed people on yeah. the ground who knew way more than I knew yeah. and like people that I wanted to be around. And those people just kind of helped us make it work. And insight really, two things helped us. Like we had obviously a great creative team that did amazing advertising campaigns and great clothing, but we put on a bunch of really cool parties yeah, and like yeah. we just pulled together like a tribe of people, like people that were like stoked to rally and we were just like it's, party together. It's and funny how simple business can be, you know, like it doesn't take a, a huge checkbook. It's just having the right people, having right. a good vibe and the right place the right, the right time. connection the yeah. right vibe the and it's right got to be authentic like yeah, if, exactly. if you truly care about what you're doing and you want to do it whether you're getting paid or not it's yeah. going to work at some yeah. point because yeah. like unless you're just like that's, that's on a negative path and you're going downhill like yeah. if you're trying to do something that's positive yeah, not, and fun it's buying gonna, your way in you're just well you, exposing you said the authenticity part of it is what really helps every business because right? you can sniff anything that's not real pretty quick pretty quick <laughs> Did what? How successful was Insight in Australia before they launched here? Like, yeah, really successful. Like they were they yeah. were a powerhouse in Australia. A small much. brand in but the scheme of surf. The, the surf brands, like it wasn't a Billabong but, or a Rip Curl no, or Quicksilver. But, but within themselves, the, and they had for sure they had a big following, and I knew how special it was. So yeah. when I came here, I wasn't like, "Here, I'm starting a new brand." It's like, "No, I'm bringing a fucking cool brand from Australia, yeah. and we're gonna make it cool to you here." Yeah. And all I had to do was find like-minded people and like-minded accounts that would be like, "Yeah, we'll give this a go. This looks cool." Yeah. And we got really lucky. Like people gave me a chance. Like so, you guys won multiple. SEMA awards and marketing awards. Who was behind the marketing there? Steve Garo and George Garo, like the Garo brothers for sure get the most credit, but there was a big team. Like yeah. there was everyone that worked in the, the brand in Australia and here were super creative people. Yeah. Like we were all doing everything to help make anything possible from the team writers through to like the marketing people and anyone at the brand, the warehouse crew, like. We're all on all the campaign shoots wherever possible to help. Like 
but the Goro brothers were the visionaries for sure. Yeah. Like they were the ones yeah, that would the be ones like, that came up with the underwater. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, each one was like, would morph from one idea to the next, like any good thing does and take something from this and make it into yeah. that. But they were the ones that would always be like, especially Steve, where he'd be like, Oh yeah, we can do this. Like no thought to the reality of making that happen. Yeah. No thought to what the budget would actually need to be to make that shit happen. But he was like, yeah, we're doing this. And you'd just be like, that's amazing. But how in the world are we going to pull this off? And then a lot of other people would actually have to like make that an option. But yeah, yeah I mean, Steve is an incredible creative guy. So yeah, yeah huge credit to him. Yeah. For, I posted, a, when Ty was on the show, I posted one of those or a couple of those ads and we got so many people commenting like whoa those were revolutionary those were memorable like yeah that was that was amazing work yeah i mean it was special times i mean that the underwater campaign that morphed from the one before so the the campaign the year before that we were all in Bali. We were doing these massive art installations. Yeah. So like we had, we had built like Steve, especially in the team had put together these crazy colorful props and we'd like put them in the water and build all these things all over the beaches and like so much work. And at the end of one of those days shoot, I remember we were in where we were staying and there was a swimming pool and like we jumped in the swimming pool after shooting a different campaign and we had the all the Jamaican team that we sponsored were all there with all their dreads and underwater. I remember being there and I had like a little digital camera underwater and I'm seeing all their dreads moving around underwater. And I remember we were just like, man, let's throw some shit in the pool and just get some photos of all of this. And so like that kind Dude, of was the, yeah. it yeah. started getting the idea yeah, this going. Is a cool look. This yeah, is like we did an ad from that where we're all underwater, like Luke Stedman was there and Kai Auden and the Jamaicans. Um, and ultimately... From that, Steve, like I said, who's just like takes things from here and to the next level where he's yeah. like, oh, wait, we can do this. And it's just like beyond anyone else's kind of thinking. Yeah. Because. So how long were you at Insight for? Um, I think it was six or seven years. Wow. Yeah. Six or seven years here. And then um, I left in 2011, I think it was, to do VSTL. So what, how did that come about? Um, that can well at the time insight was already struggling. Like we were going through the reset, we'd gone through the recession and we were like struggling, yeah. um, in internationally, not just because of the U S but internationally, like it, it started hitting Australia. And, um, so that was already, and we'd gone through changes. We'd already gone through like black box distribution, like Jamie Thomas, um, his brand, we were already working with them. Like they had the distribution. So like I was basically I was a token figure at that point for their operation. And I think basically, and I, my daughter had been born. So I was kind of just already like my world was just already different. And then uh, John Moore reached out to me. I was in Brazil at the time. I remember cause I was um, at my friend's place in Brazil and John Moore reached out and he was like, where are you and what are you doing? And I was like, I'm in Brazil and I'll be back soon. He's like, well, I've got a gig I want to talk to you about. And, that led to conversations with the president of Quicksilver, um, Pin, at the time, Craig Stevenson and um, John, and and they basically were like, "Look, we've got this project we've been working on for a while. There's a lot of people involved in Australia and Europe and here, and we just we need to give it a voice and try to get a con like a cohesive story to what we're trying to make this brand be." So I remember meeting with them and meeting with Simon Budenshaw, who was like one of the original Quicksilver artists and creative directors, and 
sitting down with Kelly and just kind of trying to figure out well, what do you guys, what are you all wanting? And everyone kind of had their take and I ended up taking the job and I was only there for, for I think it like six or seven months. Um, and this was all pre-launch. So I basically was involved as like the VP of marketing was the title, but it was John and I, he was the creative director and I was working with John up in LA out of like the pop studio that he has up there. And, and that was the draw card for me because I got to work out of LA and not have to be in Huntington or even down in Newport where, um, or Costa Mesa, where Quicksilver had their little incubator for brands, which were, they were doing like Dane Reynolds, Summer Teeth brand, and yeah. they had Moscova, and then they were doing VSTR. And John was like, look, if you get involved, we'll be able to work mainly out of LA. And I was like, okay. And they offered me a really good deal. And I was just kind of like, Insight was my baby, but it already felt like it was in the hands of others. And I kind of just had to let go. And at that point, it was just a really good opportunity. Yeah. And, but what happened is, and like, um, uh, Bob was talking about yeah. in your, the podcast, like when Andrew Mooney got involved, there was just changes and everyone had to then work out of the head office. And that was a two hour commute for me from Topanga Canyon to be well, in traffic, two yeah. hour commute each way. And I had like a one-year-old baby at home and I'm like, that's not what I signed up for. Like, yeah. I can't be leaving in the dark to get home in the dark and not even see my daughter. Yeah. And I was like, I can't yeah. do this. And Just time, stress, strain, and creativity. It's like, what? It's you know, a bummer because like, it's like one of those things that you, you, you hear, be careful what you wish for. And that's a dream job. Yeah, right? You're like, sure. killer. Get to work with Slater and, and John and all yeah, these great people sure. that have like a great like idea and plan and, and business like and then just get squashed. The craziest thing when I reflect on it is pretty much up until that point in my life, I had never once applied for a job. Like <laughs> I just kept having these opportunities come yeah. my way and people saying, would you do this? And I was like jumping from like this role, which was kind of like the top of the chain at that position or that organization to the next. And I was like, this is crazy. Like yeah. I'm not the most qualified person to do any of these jobs. <laughs> But I keep getting the opportunity and I just keep saying yes. And that's what just kept that ball rolling for a long time. You're, I just would say yes. You're blessed with, you know, a reputation that precedes itself. I mean, I know I work hard, but I just, I've never given myself any illusion to think or delusion to think yeah. that I'm like the best by any stretch at anything I'm doing. But I'll, I just know if I say I'll do it, I'll yeah. do what I have to do to get it done. I think uh, you're, like I was saying, your reputation precedes you, but people who are looking for something in that position you know they see what we just talked about the authenticity of it and the way you come across yeah right? good reputation authenticity you have a, a lot of experience and that's what life's about like mm -hmm. as you you know one door opens and closes and you move on to something new you're taking it might be a different business like you went from magazine to the cert, you know asp but then you went to like starting a brand here no previous experience in that specific like job title, but you but have you pulled a, it off. You pulled it off, but yet you're probably bringing, you know, education and experience. and experience and how to manage. Yeah, and and bringing it forward to that new job. For sure, I think my very first job, first day at Waves, I just knew it was sink or swim from day one. Yeah, and I've just that sense of like you're in the deep end, 
No one's giving you the lifeline. You got to figure out how to doggy paddle and keep your head above water and hopefully get back to the edge and like get out. Okay. (laughs) Like that has been in me from day one. So from my first full-time job till today, it's like, I don't necessarily want to jump in every deep end anymore. Like I used to happily. I'd just be like, you let's jump, whatever. We'll figure it out. Got more responsibility. You got a daughter. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're more seasoned. But that sense of confidence that comes from surviving those first kind of situations where yeah. you say yes and you don't know how you're going to get through it but you get through it and then you look back and you're like oh yeah all i had to do was work hard yeah. surround myself with smarter people than myself and rally together and yeah. like make it fun hopefully like yeah. i think that's been the main thing like i'm a serious kind of person by yeah. default but i try to if i'm working try to create reasons for it to be fun yeah for, so i want to get up and go to work whether yeah. it's in the dark or whether it's all day long like you got to make it fun you got to so. throw another party you guys yeah, yeah. hey yeah. seriously fun. Yeah. so so <laughs> vstr short term quick eight months six to eight months then what happened we moved to chile damn yeah moved to chile like for a year right yeah it was down, went off the grid for a year and that was that was a, a few factors came into that like one like i was definitely going through difficult chapter with my daughter's mother like we were struggling and so the thinking at the time was, it wasn't even very thought out. Like what happened is basically friends came up to my house in Topanga, loved it. We're like, oh, we want to live up in Topanga. This is exactly the kind of house we want to be. And I was like, do you want to rent this? And they were like, done. And literally from that day, three weeks later, we were living in Chile. Because as soon as I knew I had a way to rent the house and just leave, yeah. I was like, okay, the mortgage is going to be taken care of. I got enough money in the bank. We can go live in the house in Chile that's already it's been sitting nothing there. Nothing while we're there. Exactly, yeah. and we've got a almost two-year-old daughter. I was like, let's just simplify our life. Let's try to figure our problems out. And my goal was that we were going to just like simplify and, and get through this rocky patch we're in. Because like, I mean, having a young kid is super tough. And yeah. our world, my world, totally flipped up on its head. And I wasn't dealing with that well. Like I was yeah. partying a lot at the time because. Insight was all a big blurry party and it that made it successful. But that doesn't mean your home life is successful yeah. it's when hard you're to in get that. off the track. Yeah. Yeah, it's just hard to like stop something when you feel like that has led to all your success. Yeah. Like to do things a certain way that has worked for you. But when it stops working for you on one area of your life, it's really confronting. And I was yeah, I was struggling. I, I tell my wife that all the time. Hey, I'm partying because it's work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean Yeah, like I was I mean, I was working for Pelagrosa Tequila at the time too, at, at that point with like yeah. Crano and like, so when that was in Bruce Beach, so like there was a lot of messy nights there and, <laughs> and I got nothing against that. What, what were you doing there? Marketing too? Marketing up in LA and just Look like. this guy. I know. So Pel- Pelagrosa, right? Yep. What was, who was like, how did that come about? Uh, Eric Brian, Brian Ferris's uh, sister? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was doing the marketing, but then it was, um. Bruce and Craner, and basically, I think just through a lot of good parties and times in Cabo at SEMA and like me always having a tequila bottle in hand, somehow I kind of went in their mind as someone up in LA who could help on some level. So got involved. I was only involved for like three months because I was like, I've got to get out of this. This is super dangerous for me and my future because I was like, tequila is my favorite drink and I was drinking a lot of tequila. A lot of other substances were coming along at the end of a tequila night. And I literally called them up and I was like, guys, every cent you've given me, I'm giving you back. And I bought stock in the company because I was like, I can't keep doing this job. Like, yeah, like this is dangerous. 
I just, it wasn't that I was drinking like crazy, but I was just, I was making some bad decisions and it was just, it wasn't, I wasn't on the path that I was, wanted were to they, Were they trying to work wholesale and then get into like, like restaurants and stuff? What was like? Yeah. I mean, they were trying everything. to blow it up. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And like we had our foot in the surf world and they were trying to like make it a big brand. And um, yeah. so it just, I knew it wasn't a healthy place for me to be putting my attention. Like yeah. I was definitely up later than I was up early. <laughs> so, yeah. so I was just, it was an easy decision to end that. But then, like I said, that's around the time then when I um, ended up um, like after VSR going down to Chile. Chile. And so Chile, I, I completely removed myself. I was off the grid. I, um, I didn't work for, it was about a year and a half. Um, I was down there just trying to, I mean, for one, it took a while to just slow down. Like when you've worked in like, the world we're all in here yeah. in the industry like we're always working it's always yeah. fun so there's a very blurry line between our play and our work it's all the same thing really yeah. and the better we do it the blurrier it is like we're, we're surfing and working with the same people we're partying with the same people and it's yeah. when i moved to chile it was like oh wait you're not doing any of that you're not working you're not with any of these people you're in a country where you can't even speak the language and i was with my like young family and it was it was a struggle for a yeah. while. It took a while for me to get into the pace of that life, and then it became amazing. Like ultimately, unfortunately, You're like I don't at need the, the time, internet and I don't need the the nonsense and the noise. But yeah, it's no, I mean, I I had been really fortunate that I had already had like a twenty year career. So yeah. like I had some savings. I had a kid that I just wanted to like give her my love and. Like, unfortunately, like I went through a separation that was really gnarly when we were down there. Yeah. That was hard on obviously all three of us involved, but yeah. like mainly her mum and I. Um, but it, it happened the way it had to happen. And like, thankfully, like years later, her and I are great friends. And she just had a kid like four months ago. And I mean, it's everything is the way it should be. And it always is. But like at the time, I didn't see it that way. Yeah. Yeah. At the time, hurt. it was like yeah. my world was upside down and I was just so hurt inside go though yeah i mean look i i know i had all the right intentions to make it all work and to get through it the way you imagine it's supposed to but like clearly i don't know how life's meant to unfold it, it unfolds the way it has to and yeah. you have to yeah. you have to deal with the things that come your way and at the time i was just i, I had no skill set to deal with that change yeah. like suddenly i was like a single dad in a foreign country. I didn't have a job. My house in LA was rented out. I was like, I don't know what to do. And <laughs> where I am I going to go? And the one thing that I knew I needed to do at that time, and it it, it was such a positive. So is, wait, did she move back to the states? She was still there. Okay. Um, for a while, then she moved back to her mom's place in Missouri. So like, I'm in Chile at one point, and my daughter's living in Missouri, and I'm like, I don't have a job. I don't have. A house to come back to like I have a house but it's rented and I was like what do I do and literally that day I just I had like a whatever you want to call it. like I just had a, a wake-up call where I was in tears like I was I was in tears just heartbroken and I woke up I just like I just my eyes opened up Why and I was here? like how did I get to this point like what do I need to do yeah I just I woke up and I saw the reality of where I was it wasn't yeah. like I was seeing all this sadness and anger and frustration and like pointing it all at her and this situation and that thing it was just like I just saw myself and I was like you know what wake up and start moving forward the way you want to again and not that I had anything against drinking but I decided I'm not drinking anymore and that was seven years ago and like that decision that day 
things just switched. Like literally the same day, a few hours later, I got an email from Mark Byers, who was the guy who was the CFO at Insight that I'd left two years prior, hadn't even spoken to anyone from the company in pretty much two years. He was like, where are you? Um, and I wrote back saying, hey, I'm in, down in Chile. And he's like, well, would you come back to work with us in LA? And I was like, yes, when? <laughs> and, and The day that you decided to quit drinking? Yeah. And basically that day we got on a call. Should we start, stop drinking? <laughs> that, Hell no. <laughs> that afternoon I got on a call with him and I was like, look, I mean, I'm a long way from being able to be there right now. Like I'm down in Chile and... I was like, and I need to go see my daughter. So like he got me a ticket that let me stop in Missouri. I spent a week with my daughter and a week later I was back in LA staying like initially on the couch at my house that was being rented um, until they moved out and went back to work at Insight for a while to help with the transition of the sale of the company. So like that got me back to LA and ultimately like, I mean, that's when was that? That was 2015. So that's already five years ago. So crazy. 2013 sorry what am i saying yeah seven years ago wow yeah so then you did that for i stayed with insight for a while then steve garrow and i um who was the creative director we started working on a new brand that we had funding for and other designers involved with and we were about to launch that and then there was kind of a falling out with the um the investors and then i kind of honestly the next few years after that i kind of was just bouncing like trying to like figure out how to like be a single dad trying to like, cause I went through a whole like unfortunate, like custody scenario. Like initially it was really bad. Now it's great. But so I have thankfully a good perspective to look at it. But at the time I was just struggling. Like I was struggling with who, what's my identity. Like I've had all these amazing jobs and now I'm suddenly like, don't really have a job. Midlife crisis. Yeah. In a sense, like yeah. I was fortunate. I had some assets, but I didn't have really a job. I didn't have a partner. I, my daughter was like living in Missouri at the time. Like, so I was trying to like figure out how do I just maintain and how do I like, how do I find some happiness again? So like started surfing, like it, like my life depended on it. Like it was like, I had to go surf. It wasn't yeah. like there's some pastime. It's like, no, I have to go surf. I have to give myself that reward every day that I'm alive, I'm happy, I'm healthy, and good things will come if I keep putting my energy into that. And and I bounced around. I got like, I had a good job for a while there with Magic Seaweed until Surfline ended up buying Magic Seaweed. So that job kind of became um, non-existent. But what was your job there? Same thing, editing? like or no, no, I mean, I was doing some content for them, but yeah. they hired me to basically be like kind of in a sense, sales manager. I think my title was brand manager for the US because yeah. that was more of a European-based um, site. Yeah. But uh, Ben Freeston, who's here, um, he hired me to basically, yeah, like help build the brand of Magic Seaweed for the US. So like I was selling ads and I was helping create content to justify any company in the US wanting to do yeah. advertising. But yeah, it kind of started going full circle and I started having conversations again within the industry and starting to like, socialize again because when I first moved back to LA like I said I'd stopped drinking all my friends I knew were always out drinking because you're networking and it wasn't like I didn't <laughs> want to be around them but it's like I just didn't want to be doing the same old shit I was like I yeah. want to I yeah. want to be a different person yeah. and not that I have anything against that lifestyle that lifestyle was amazing and I lived it to its ex fullest extent yeah but it's like I, I want to be a great single dad like I want my attention to be there for my daughter and if I'm not gonna have her all the time then she's gonna get a hundred percent of my attention whenever I can have her and, and that decision was so crystallized that 
everything except my time with my daughter had to fall in line of that. And so like all the jobs that I started getting had to be flexible. Like I had to get a job that allowed me to half the week be with my daughter yeah. full time, not like be with her and like give her to like daycare. I was like, no, I'm going to be with her a hundred percent of the time. And so I got really lucky. I got jobs. Like I was delivering vegetables and fruit in Topanga at one point, like for no money, but just like to be busy, to keep myself doing anything until I'd find the next job that would like give me some more money and like did the job with um, Magic Seaweed. Then I started doing some jobs with, well, I worked with GSI, Global Surf Industries for a while too, doing marketing stuff for them um, out of Australia. But then I, and that kind of got me meeting with retailers again for the first time in a long time. Because after Insight, like I really had like, there was a three or f probably three year gap when I really was just disconnected from what my network had been for a long yeah. time. And so obviously people weren't thinking about me and I had to really start thinking about them again to figure out, well, how am I even relevant and how can I help? And, and so GSI got me on some tours where I would start like going to retailers up and down the East and West coast. And it was just awesome. Like it felt so good to like walk back that, in like, and feel like, and, yeah, talk story like this. Know, like, hard goods and you just go, I mean, you got to surf, got to surf, you and, know, yeah, got to, like meet reps again and just start like mixing business with pleasure. Exactly. Yeah. Instead of like struggling, in, like how do you at pay the beach a bill in the morning and not at the, yeah. the bar in the club or exactly. you know, the party? Exactly. Because yeah. Insight was Clean. so much fun, but so much of that was a nighttime networking gig yeah. for me. Like my job towards the end was I had to be at all the parties yeah. and like, and I definitely wanted to be at all the parties, yeah. but like that was you're like perfect, my gig. perfect man for the perfect job at that time. Exactly. You know? and now you're like, exactly. my, my job now is I want to get up at six, have a, band full of boards and go pull up to a surf shop and surf and chill. exactly and that's it's it's funny when you look back and you realize you're always doing exactly what you should be doing yeah. but at the time sometimes you're like oh i wish i could be doing this or that like i've never been someone who wished for someone else's job but i definitely found myself a few years back going man how do i get any job that seems to be true to me like it was just i, I was knocking on doors and they were just yeah. like closed and i just started realizing okay if I do what I've always done, which is just go to the beach and be passionate about that, I know things are going to come. Conversations are going to start in the water or I'm going to get passionate. And, and sure enough, like I started getting into kite surfing and getting into like foiling and that, that opened up new so opportunities. So let's talk about that. How did you get into kite surfing? Gary Siska. And I was talking to him Siska. yesterday. Yeah, we were yeah, talking yeah, about yeah. you yesterday. Oh, funny. <laughs> yeah. You know Siska is? I don't know. Cisco was, I mean, he was at OP. He was, I was at Arnett with you maybe, or? No, he was at Arnett, but I met him through Burton and Analog and Anon. Okay. He was at Anon. Yeah, I love yeah. Cisco. He, yeah. I met Cisco when I first moved to LA down in the um, SEMA. No, I met him down in okay. Cabo at, with Crano, um, again, with a bottle of tequila in the mix. But um, I stayed friends with him. We sponsored Warren Smith, who he was really good friends with back at Insight Days and just such a great guy yeah. and lost touch with him. And somehow along the way, I think when I moved back to LA and I was back at Insight, he and I connected and I think he just like dropped the seed that he was involved in the kite. Well, like I didn't even know what he was up to. I didn't know anything about kite surfing. <laughs> and he told me how he was at Liquid Force and he was involved with kiting and on one of my travels, actually, I'd gone to Haiti with John Rose for Ways for Water. I'd just kind of gone down there and then I'd gone to the Dominican Republic to volunteer and get some Ways for Water stuff happening. And while I was there, 
a friend of mine, Cameron Dietrich, who was a pro kite surfer, had a kite school and I was staying with him and he was like, man, go do a class like on me, go do a class. And I was kind of like, yeah, it looks sketchy. I'm just going to get hurt. But I did one lesson on the beach and kind of learned a little bit. I, I felt the power of the kite, never even got on a board in the water, but just like, because I ended up leaving and I had yeah, to go. Test kite, dry, dry land. Yeah, like I got dragged yeah. in the water and that was the extent of the lesson. And then the next day I was meant to go back and then you'd learn how to get on a board, but I never got to come back. I, the next day I had to leave and go somewhere else. And so I, when I spoke to Siska, he was like, man, I'm at this kite company. Like you got to, I'll send you some gear. And I was like, all right, like scared, yeah. but like, all right, kind of stoked because I knew it looked rad, but I've I was like... I've seen all these cook of the day uh, clips. I don't <laughs> want to be it, dragged it, across a, a parking lot or jetty and... 100%. Like I had all <laughs> the right fear that everyone has about kite surfing. I had no sense of a connection to it. But then what happened is, so he sent me gear, literally sent me like one of the twin tip boards that looked like a wakeboard. I'm like, I have no connection to that. Sent me a kite, sent me a harness, sent me a bar. And I was like, dude, thank you. Sat in my garage for like a year. Didn't even touch it. I was like, what do I do with this? This yeah. is like a, a definite recipe for me to go end up yeah. in like the ER or yeah. something. But well, then, that's just that. It's like, it's not a cool looking thing. And none of us. And it's not easy. It's not, it's not just show up and paddle out. It's show up, set up, you know, like it's yeah. a lot of. Well, that's what I thought. Like in my mind at the time, it was something different. It was like, oh, you're going wakeboarding. So you need a boat and you need all this. And like, you need all this gear that I don't naturally have. So I just thought of it as something different. But then what happened after I had all the gear, one day I was driving down to my local beach at Topanga, windy as hell. And I look out there and it's like, I wasn't, there was no thought of going surfing in my mind. I look out there. Glassy, you know, for, for the surfer. Well, you, I don't know if you guys know Alan Salo, yeah. like one of the oh, early yeah. Dogtown guys. Salo's out there annihilating these waves. Like, surfing with a, wind, with a kite with a kite okay and I, i'm looking and i knew i know solo yeah, he's like, the only guy with you know four foot shoulders yeah, he's like, like bam bam from the flintstones <laughs> he, but he rips like i was surfing with him yesterday oh, at rips. malibu or two days ago but i see him and i'm like i see the style i'm like that's that's solo what's he doing oh, yeah. and i see the kite and i'm like he's using that kite to surf these waves better than you could ever hope to surf normally like you got power you've got speed yeah and no one's out there. And the waves are like, there's good waves, but it's just torrential. Like, I think it might've been raining that day. It was just like crazy. crazy weather day that no one in their right mind who's a normal surfer is going to the beach. He's out there having the best time ever. And I saw that and I called Cisco and I'm like, dude, I got to figure this out. Like that looks amazing. So I ended up calling a few friends that I knew had kited. And then I met a guy one day on the beach at Topanga and I was like, dude, can I just like watch you? Can I, can I just follow you around? And he was like, sure. And he was super patient and a couple of friends of mine now, but they just let me watch them and taught me how to set up the kite and how to get out there. And then, and I was struggling at the beginning, like anyone would, but I was struggling mainly because I was trying on one of those twin tip boards, which like I said, just didn't make sense to me. It wasn't a surfboard. Yeah. And I didn't like having my feet strapped in. And I didn't really even have the idea that I could just do, do it, it without it. So then as soon as I kind of learned enough of how to fly a kite back and forth, and I kept struggling going out on this twin tip and I just, it wasn't, wasn't making sense. But then one day I was like, I'm just going with the surfboard, went down with a surfboard by myself. It was like, I'm not even sure if I'm going to get this kite up in the air without hurting myself, but I'm just going to, I knew it was windy. I went to this spot up in LA where there was going to be no one around, got the kite up 
put the surfboard, normal board, no straps on the water. And I'm like, I know I can stand on a board and balance without doing anything. Yeah. If I can just angle the kite into the right place, it's going to start pulling me straight away. Up and gone. Up and gone. Doing cutbacks, started to slowly do turns. And I'm like, dude, I'm surfing with my own personal jet ski. Wow. And obviously, I had a lot to learn because that was like day one. But you're hooked. Like your first day of 100%. surfing, you're like... Like, I just, it, it's like the stoke of surfing was this high. This just turned it up tenfold. Like, yeah. suddenly you've you got... You can do it anytime now when it's well, fucking when it's windy. Out, well, when it's windy. Need, like, the funny thing is, like, when you don't kite, you think it gets windy all the time. When you kite, it's rarely windy <laughs> enough. <laughs> just like us. Yeah. That's what I mean. When it's super windy, it's like it's six foot in glass. When is it ever six foot or offshore? You know, like those perfect conditions, but, you know... Yeah, it... It ignited in me, though, a sense of stoke that I hadn't felt in a long time. Like, and it just suddenly... But it I, opened I, up that day, that part of the the day or part of those where you would write off the day from surfing, but then it opened up and gave you more, um, you know, now, now you have another, yeah, another I mean, sport, another way to get in the water. Look, I've always been completely obsessed with being at the ocean and doing something. Yeah. Whether it was surfing whether it was getting into stand-up paddling when that began. Like, I just, I want to be challenged and I want to be active and yeah, I, I need kinda, to burn off that. pissing me off right now. <laughs> but then... Not only do you rip at fucking surfing, you're ripping at kite surfing and you're ripping at foiling. I mean, it all came hand in hand. When I got into <laughs> kiting, thanks to Siska, I was seeing people foiling and I was like, man, I am such a kook at kiting. If I'm going to be a kook at this, I might as well be a kook at foiling at the same time. So I bought a foil through him and I was like, okay, I'm going to learn how to paddle foil, kite foil and kite surf all at the same time. So I was like, I was paying dues day after day after day, yeah. like absolutely exhausted at the end of the day. Whenever I'd get wind or the opportunity, I'd go out there and I'd be the kook and I'd celebrate it. I was yeah. like, I wasn't embarrassed about being the kook. I was like, I'm the kook. I'm going to learn from scratch how to do this shit Humiliating, you know but i would just i'd go away from the spots and the days when the waves were good i'd go surf but like i was honestly hoping the waves would be shit most days i'd be like i'd hope it'd be tiny to go foil or windy to go learn to kite because i was like that's where the excitement was for me it was like i want to i was a kid i was stoked trying to learn how to do new stuff every uh advancement in your your talent you're just even more excited to get back out there the next time, right? Yeah, and if you've got a background like we all do in surfing our whole lives, once you have a basic understanding of foiling and a basic understanding of kiting, very quickly all of that information that we've already gained comes into play and you become a good foiler and you become a good kiter pretty quick. Like It's not like you see people learn to surf and they spend 30 years trying to get better. It's like if you can already surf and you learn how to foil, it's, it's humbling and it's hard and it's dangerous at the beginning. But once you get over a certain threshold, you're a good foiler. Yeah. And once you learn how to control a kite, you're a good kiter because you know how to like put in place. You have ocean knowledge. You know how to read the ocean. You have to learn little subtle differences. But like now, like for me, the best thing I can do right now is go kite surf on a crazy windy day with overhead waves. Like that's my dream conditions right now. Yeah. Like people are like, oh, I want it to be six foot in barrel. And it's like, yeah, me too. But then there's going to be a hundred guys out there and I'm not going to even get a good wave and I'm going to come in frustrated. If it's super windy, I know I'm going to have a great time. Period. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm going to get a hundred waves and no one's going to be hassling me. So cool. I mean, I haven't tried it. I did the dry land, like kite test. And it was, it's, it's not what you think. 
No, you know? it's it's counterintuitive. You can't turn. It's this. It's like it's yeah. just it. But, you gotta, I mean, you gotta feel it. You gotta, yeah. I mean, I gotta be careful. Like, I don't wish for every surfer to become a kite surfer. Yeah. Because I, I mean, and it's funny. Mark Warren, who we were talking about earlier, Narrabeen legend of a surfer who started like the Bronze Aussies and like just awesome surfer. He's a great kite surfer, and he reached out to me when I first got into kiting, and I was posting all these little clips of me learning. He's like, he's like, look, I'm just gonna tell you, like. I was involved at the beginning of Quicksilver and promoting surfing all around the world. And like, look at that. There's surfers everywhere now. It's like, you love kiting because you can go places and it's not packed everywhere. So just keep that in mind. Keep, keep it down. Yeah. So it's like kiting, it's a it's a smaller, passionate group because there are real dangers and yeah. it's it's the new things you got to buy. And yeah. it's like, there's some new expenses. But the reality is for anyone who can surf, yeah. like once you learn how to be safe with the kite, yeah. it just opens up so yeah. many opportunities. Like I go on like 30 mile downwind runs where you're surfing the entire coastline, not just like sitting at one wave waiting for a wave. You're, yeah. you're going the entire coastline and everywhere there are waves. So I'm, cool. I'm secretly really jealous that people like you do new things and have a blast at it yeah so, then it's worlds like this man if it isn't regular surfing and ping pong i'm not interested <laughs> but the funny thing is like it, the mindset's exactly the same like to me it's all of the things i do is are just surfing even yeah. the jobs it's all just about my love of surfing yeah and i just want to do it as much as i can and share it with as many people as i yeah. can and learning how to foil just meant the worst tiny days were suddenly epic. I know. And learning to kite meant the windy days were suddenly empty. And yeah. it's like, and I just get to surf more. So I don't actually go to the beach more often now, but the difference is I, my priorities are different. Like I, I look for the, the opportunities like any surfer does, when are you going to have the most fun? And yeah. I'm looking for the days when it's not going to be the crowded days and looking for the venues where it's not going to be just too aggressive. So I get my fix. And yeah. I mean, I've just been super lucky that Siska like kind of encouraged me and a few other friends kind of helped me get over those yeah. hurdles. What a small freaking world is it that you know Siska? I kind of know Siska. Oh, he's really so awesome. I am. Um, but doesn't he have a place in... Uh, he's up in Hood River in Oregon. Oh, he's in Hood River. Yeah, I went up there the end of last year and we kited together. It was literally, the water was ice. It was probably like... 40 degree in Hood River. There was ice on the side and I was kite foiling up in the river. I had a wetsuit on that had ice on it because I'd surfed in Oregon the day before and the wetsuit had literally frozen. Um, yeah, he's up there in Hood River. He had a place in Peru. That's it, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did a kite shoot together last year in Santa Cruz. We're, we're going to do another one this year. Like, yeah, I love Cisco. And I'm just so grateful because meeting the kiting world it's like, it is a lot of people who have got a long history in surfing, but they're people who've just found a way to stay stoked. Yeah, like yeah. they're not, that's, that's really what it's all about. Yeah. It's like what stay your choice stoked. is stay stoked or yeah. not. And like, yeah. I choose that without even having to think. Yeah. I mean, when you're getting a workout and you're not working out, which is like what I look at, like surfing, you know, it's, Oh, man, it's the I, best non-workout you could ever do in your I'm entire 45, life. I'm 45. I'm in the best shape of my life. Yeah. And I have more fun in the water than I've ever had. Yeah. End of story for me. Like, That's it. And I look at people who are in their 60s yeah. who are ripping kiting. And I'm like, man, I not only do I have a long... If I don't keep hurting myself, I've got like this long future <laughs> to just get better and this better. This guy hurts himself all the time. 
Man, I mean, kiting, it's this, you have so much speed and foiling too. There's, there's always yeah. a risk. If you're out in the water surfing or doing yeah. any of these things, you can get hurt. Yeah. The more you do it, the more likely that's going to happen. When you're kiting, you're just amplifying the chances because you're going fast. Like you yeah. got speed, like I'm burning off speed. Like you, you, like you need to learn to slow down half the time kiting. It's control. You got yeah. so much speed, but it's, I mean, in the last, I've only been kiting for like two and a half years and I've already kited around the world. Like I've, it's like, it's How's my, it to travel with that stuff? Oh, it's so easy. Like all it all, I, it all zips up in a little backpack. No, like I'm on a, if I go with a board bag, all I'm adding to the quiver is maybe one or maybe two kites, depending on where I'm going. So that yeah. just packs extra padding in your bag, a harness, which just goes around the fins. The pump is the hardest thing to fit in a bag without digging your boards. You What's just, the pump for? Because on the kite, kite, there's like an inflatable oh, okay. part that you inflate so that way, like you can relaunch easily and it just kind of the way the technologies evolve. But yeah. Um, I mean, and they're not even hard to carry. I just mean like, that's literally the only thing that's a bit of an inconvenience yeah. to fit <laughs> everything else. You'd be taking on a surf trip anyway. Yeah. So like I go on a surf trip hoping to get good waves, but really in the back of my mind, hoping it's really windy so I can kite like everywhere I've gone in the last couple of years, I've just been hopeful I could kite at it. And I have, it's, that's cool. So let's, uh, bring it back to today. What is Jesse? So after all of these <laughs> jobs, too too many to, to list, um, and your volunteer work on you know, um, you know, uh, what was it? Life rolls on. You did. Yeah, I was on the board of Life Rolls On with Jesse Billow yeah. and those guys, and cool. Um, um, yeah, and what helped out a little bit with Waste for Water with That's John. Cool. Yeah, that was super cool. That John just at a time I needed some like, I needed to like help others to help myself and yeah. he saw that and he like gave me the opportunity to go down to haiti and and that led like i said to go into dominican republic which was an amazing trip um but, but now you've landed yourself a good yeah i'm so healthy stoked. up early out in the water all day job yeah kind of almost. for sure yeah. i mean yeah so now basically the job i'm doing now i'm managing the surfboard agency brands for the u.s and the way that came about which was super organic is like I have a 10 year old daughter now. So back when she was eight, Mick Fanning like started MF Softboards with the surfboard agency. And Mick just sent me some boards for like me and my daughter to have boards to ride. Like he knew she was like yeah, keen surfer. And um, so as soon as my daughter Gypsy got on one of, like he, she got like a five, six pink soft safe board. Oh, so safe. One of like the Eugenie, which is Mick's shortboard down in her size. Yeah. As soon as she saw this bright pink board, her eyes lit up. Suddenly, instead of her being on like a long board with me or even on one of my boards getting pushed onto a wave, she was a surfer. Like she had like that sense perfect that we all size, have. Perfect size, Yeah, and she like had a sense of pride. Like she had a board that was her board that she felt safe on, that she was confident on, that she could learn not just to like go straight, but to learn the Trend fundamentals. And, yeah. to learn. It's like a real surfboard that's just wrapped in the soft technology. So she started gaining confidence. So like I'd take her out at Topanga local break and I just started watching her get better naturally because she would start learning how to do a bottom turn and start yeah. doing little cutbacks and like her face would just light up and she'd be paddling back and she'd like be holding her board with that sense of pride that we remember as kids. Yeah. And I was like, man, this is rad. And so like, I was just, I was working with some surf, um, resorts in El Salvador and then in Nicaragua and I was helping connect a Waco to those places and they were bringing in some of the MF boards. So I was using them naturally. My daughter was using them. And basically 
the CEO, Dan Flynn of the surfboard agency was in Australia, I'm sorry, was here in LA at the end of last year. And he was kind of like, well, you're already using the MF boards and like helping us a little bit. Like, do you want to get involved and, and like maybe like work with our other brands? And it was really like just a simple conversation, but that's evolved to now me like helping manage the business for the US. And so it's, um, it's been the perfect job for me yeah. because for where I'm at, like I go surfing with my daughter all the time and we're exposing other people to those boards. But we, we I mean, we have over 50 accounts in the US already. Like we're in all the Rip Curl stores um, for MF and then the other, the hard boards that we do, like we make all the Rip Curls um, private label boards as well as a lot of other stores like Heritage and Cinnamon Rainbows and a lot of other accounts we're doing their private label hard boards. Yeah. Um, but then the MF boards we've also like got in accounts across the US and I'm just trying to like nurture the ones we have and build from there. And um, we do the Aloha brand, um, another brand, Element brand now. Um, and we've done other brands in the past. So like for me, like I'm, I've just brought on like Shay Lopez. I was just with Shay, like I said, at the beginning of the year in Florida and Shay's come on as one of the shapers for, or the designer for Aloha. Sick. So we've got samples of his boards coming out for next year. Um, so it's like any of the stuff we've done before, I'm just getting to kind of utilize some of that experience yeah. and bring it forward into a job that lets me surf, lets me surf with the other surfers yeah. and talk about surfing all the time and have a car full of boards. And so sweet. Yeah, it's sweet. How, 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 like, I mean, we're just coming out of this COVID, you know, you know, hiatus with, with, with retail opening back up, but like all the stores seem that hard goods, you know, and surfboards are, have been really really strong yeah you know it's been such a weird year obviously and like my heart goes out to so many people that have had real struggles like loss of jobs or loss of businesses and and for me when i took on this job i literally started in the middle of winter when all the accounts had the stock they needed and was just hopeful that come spring opportunities would open up for me come spring we're in like coronavirus quarantine stores are closed and like the company in Australia and me here, where it's like, man, this is going to be tough. Yeah. Like, how are we going to get through this? And fortunately, they were really supportive of me um, just to kind of do what I could do to keep things going. And, and I just do what I naturally want to do and call these retailers around the country and just like see how they're going. Just have a yeah. conversation, like yeah. hear what their struggle is and not even trying to do business just like because I genuinely care about them. They're all you and I, like our yeah. friends are the retailers, like their stores are hiring our friends and sponsoring our kids and our, yeah. like, so it's like, I just started calling all the retailers and surf schools and trying to figure out, well, like what's going on. And if this changes, like I'm here, if I can help call me any way I can help you. And like, so when stores started opening, as you said, like yeah. they started booming pretty quick yeah, with yeah. hard goods, like wanting to sell surfboards, needing stock. Yeah. And so fortunately I've been someone they're thinking of and they're calling me and I'm busy. Like I'm flat yeah. out. I'm like, happily delivering the boards even though that's not my job i'm like if i can get them to you quicker let's get you selling yeah. some stuff right now and that was awesome that the post that you sent uh the post that you did for us listening to ben gravy and kelly was that was a trip <laughs> that was a trip did you see yeah. that yeah i mean i'm not exaggerating that second i'm listening to ben talk to you guys about how he was like getting the invite to go up to the wave pool and as I'm hearing that I'm looking in front of me and there's a guy riding like looked like an electric bike down the street and I see a surfboard and he had a hat on so I couldn't tell who it was as I get closer I see a bit of the outer known sticker and I'm like there's only one guy that's gonna have that sticker on his board at (laughs) Trestles 
I had so no funny. idea Kelly was in town and then I pull up and literally you guys are still speaking in my car radio <laughs> and I'm like Kel, Kel and I'd be like I gotta turn that down yeah. and like I pull up and he's I'll just like what are you funny. doing but, um, but you were delivering boards to Rip Curl. Yeah. yeah to James down at the San Clemente Rip Curl store that's yeah. awesome that's cool small world yeah again yeah super grateful to have a gig right now but um, the, I mean it, like you said like We've all spent our whole lives being passionate about surfing and yeah. whatever hat we're wearing, it's the same thing. Like we're all yeah. doing and, and, we and, love it goes, it. and it goes back to, you know, relationships and networking and, and friends and, and just being that positive person. And no matter where you where you land, you're going to deal with the same people if, that, if you're in, within the industry. Like you've had many different hats at many different yeah. companies, but at the end of the day... If you're dealing with the same people, you're, you're dealing for with, sure. you know, the same shops, like you're, you know, you're, and you feel their pain. Like, I yeah. mean, for me, when obviously this quarantine has been super challenging for us on a number of levels, Everybody. all of us for having kids, not being in school and not getting to leave home. And for us up in LA and other places, not getting to go surf, like that's yeah. brutal. But then for me, one of the heaviest things was when like the protests started happening and then there was like some of the rioting, so to speak, and looting in LA. And I was seeing footage of like surf shops getting looted. I mean, I can't tell you how pissed that got me. So mad. When you're seeing like privileged white, privilege, white kids stealing doing, boards. Yeah, I mean, because like I care about Patagonia if their store is being looted. Everybody, I care yeah. about any store because not only do I know the people that run those companies, I know the people that are making that product, yeah. the people that are out there trying to sell that product, yeah. people that are working in those stores. And the people that are walking in wanting to buy that stuff that keep us all having yeah. this opportunity. Yeah. Like it was, it's really uh, sad, really sad to see. It's sad that opportunists, the bad ones use this yeah. cause, um, for their own, you know, evil yeah, exactly. ways like, of trying to get ahead. I'm not going to get political and talk about all yeah. the issues that justify people doing what they need to make their point. Yeah. But the people that use that for yeah. their stupidity, well, that's, a, that's a sad reflection. But, of, but that gives them the green light when they could infiltrate a good movement or, or a protest for whatever reason and, and use that as an avenue to cause havoc and, and you know, yeah. be barbaric. people and, off. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like these yeah. people, like I saw, and I'm nothing but impressed by people like Saturdays in New York and like they got, their store got completely looted yeah. and they were so humble about it and understanding to the situation for the people that are being persecuted in life yeah. um, and them like not even complaining and like that's amazing that they can have that perspective and again like i get it like there's a lot of reason in, in this country and in this world right now for people to like say yeah. enough is enough of bad things but yeah. that doesn't mean you can start doing bad things yeah like that's well, just one it's doesn't just mean sad the other. that um you know this is all happening at the worst possible time. Yeah. You know, like we just, we're starting to open up businesses and then all of a sudden these businesses that weren't making any money, small mom and pop, small mom and, and pop corporate. I mean, everybody, yeah, everyone that, yeah. um, targets to freaking yeah. auto but, zones to your yeah, that's the thing. Everyone likes to think that someone bigger is less affected, but it's like, they're just affected differently. Yeah, like yeah. we're all affected. Everyone's yeah. in this together. Like yeah. whether it's the retailers, whether it's like, I mean, we're all affected by the problems going on yeah. and like we all want to see it better for ourselves and our neighbors and our kids, yeah. like black, white, Hispanic, whatever. Everybody. Like, exactly. Well, hey man, you didn't say Filipino. Hey. Filipino. <laughs> all Asian. Filipino. Did I went all to you the, Islanders. I went to the, have you been? I was born there, but I haven't been back. Man, I went, one of my first trips was to the Philippines. I went there in 95. 
one of the best trips ever yeah. for waves i got to go there and surf cloud nine that i'll never forget that trip though. yeah yeah like someday maybe you so, gotta go there yeah. so on a different note what about wave pools you know like you've probably I got had to go fair, fair fair share of wave pools all around no not at all no? i've got to go to kelly's once and that was amazing i got to take my daughter and we got barreled together oh that's right dude it was amazing yeah it was on when she had just turned eight and the best part about the story mm-hmm. that i tell everyone is that she had a loose tooth for like weeks and we were driving up there, got the like call from a friend, Vava, that we were going to get the chance to like, I didn't know if I was just going to be sitting on the inside. Watching. Yeah. yeah. But I was just like, man, if I get to go in the water, cause we'd been there for the event they had there yeah. two days before walked in super hot, watched an empty wave go by. I'm like, this is going to kill me. I can't sit here. <laughs> and we watch a couple of heats awesome surfing but i'm like no nah, this is not fun this is painful for yeah. me painful. and gypsy's even like dad it's so hard can we go and we literally like went and swam in the little reservoir next to it for a minute and we left i was just like i'm out can't do yeah, this it's torture drive all the way home and then get home that night and get the call from my friend saying are you up here because if you are you can get in the pool tomorrow and i'm like i'll be up there <laughs> yeah i'm actually yeah right around the corner seriously no, Pack a bikini. Gypsy was asleep when I got that call. I wake her up the next morning and I'm like, hey, hope you're cool with this. We're going back up there. And she looks at me all confused. I'm like, we're going to get in the water. And she's like, okay. And like literally just packed the car with all my boards. I didn't know what to bring. I didn't know if I was going to catch half a wave or 10 waves. So I brought like seven boards. I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what to bring. I'm just going like, on a surf trip. so excited. Like drive back there and... But like I was saying, Gypsy had a loose tooth. And as we get there, she says to me, she's like, Dad, like, but what happens if I lose my tooth in the pool? Like the tooth fairy won't come. And I'm like, Gypsy, if your tooth comes out today, guaranteed you're getting a tube today. Like I just threw that out there. And then we get there and our friend Jessica Monty was the chef there. And she lives in Topanga. So she sees Gypsy and knows her. And she's like, brings out a burrito for Gypsy. First bite. Gypsy's tooth comes out and she looks at me like, and I'm like, Gypsy, that's amazing. We're getting yeah, through today. Like this is before I've gone in the pool. So I don't even know yet how it's going to play out. Was it a private day for? Yeah. One of our friend Lewis had hired it for two hours okay. and my friend Vava, his friend had kind of invited us. So it was those two were going to be the main people. And I thought I might get a couple scraps, but as it turned out, they're both goofy foots. I'm regular. So they wanted priority on the left. They were happy for me to get priority. So they priority only rented on it for two hours. They had it for two hours. So we were in the pool for two hours. So like, got a lot of waves. Yeah. And I was so stoked. But the foot, Gypsy was Are on the inside. Surfers? Yeah. Oh yeah. Lewis, well, Lewis is like, like average, I guess to say in kindness to him. Yeah. Um, he wasn't getting big barrels or anything like that, but he had a like epic day. Yeah. Vava's a great surfer. Like Vava's um, like one of my lifelong friends and really good surfer from Brazil. But, um, he, they were both going the lefts mainly or prioritizing those. So I got to get the rights and Gypsy actually got away before me though. She was in the pool at the end. So she was going to catch the first right that broke the whitewash after whoever me or whoever got the first wave just at the very end. But Philippe Toledo happened to be there that morning. And just as we were about to start, like we're sitting in the water waiting for the thing to start up. They're like, Oh, wait, oh, Philippe's coming out. He wants to get one wave before he leaves. So they literally turn on the wave. I'm sitting there about to catch the goes. first wave. And he gets jet skied and whipped into the wave. Kills it. He's on like a... Bastard. 
is on one of the Firewire Go Fish twins. Just kills this wave. Oh. I'm just watching spray off the back going, man, okay, there's the set the bar really high for any of us to like surf now. And Gypsy at the end is just sitting there. Philippe sees Gypsy at the end and calls her to go to the end of the wave and he turns off and she catches the first wave. That's <laughs> and the pool. So then she ended up catching like 15 or 30 waves probably. She got the end of every wave. Yeah. Um, no, 15 because she just got the end of the rights. Um, but then I grabbed her at one point and I was like, Gypsy, like, let's get a wave together. Like uh, there was this like seven. How many waves did you get? I probably got about 10 or 12 waves. I'm not sure. I definitely blew a couple, but I got one with Gypsy. Two actually, sorry. First wave, I grabbed this seven... 10 firewire quad and it was like the biggest board there that wasn't a soft top because i was like i want to have the ability to try to like trim and get a barrel because yeah. i'd already had a couple barrels and i was like this thing is ridiculous this yeah. is like the best barrel ever and for sure if i can pick gypsy up on the front of a board and get low we're gonna get a chew yeah so i tell gypsy like this is what you need to do just yeah okay, lift you up you just hold well what happened though the first wave they're thinking oh here's a dad with his kid they're gonna put oh, it on the lowest level oh. so they put the lowest one so i go to get up and it's like i've been getting like the the perfect waves with some power this thing comes along i go to stand up and it's like nothing and i just fall on top of my daughter like literally we just fell over in the whitewash straight away and i'm on top of her underwater just going oh this is not the experience i wanted to have yeah anyway i'm thinking that's it the wave goes by, a left comes by, we're still sitting out there. And then all of a sudden, no one's told us to come in. So Gypsy's just sitting on the board. I'm like, well, let's just watch them catch a wave. The next right comes and it's like the pro one coming down. Lewis takes off, does a bottom turn, goes into another one. And I'm like, I know he's mistiming this. He's too deep. And so I'm like, we're going to go. He, he falls off the back of the wave. I start paddling with Gypsy for like the proper pro one. And I'm like, Gypsy, just stay low. I'm paddling. I scramble to get on get onto the wave pick her up and i'm literally saying to her i'm like just stay low we're gonna get tubed on this wave and just don't worry whatever happens wow. just keep looking so she's like standing there and literally from my perspective i watched the barrel go over, over her. her full shade and like we're both standing inside this perfect barrel come out and i was just like that's yeah. as good as it gets she's never gotten a barrel before obviously no, like, did yeah. you cry Dude, I was on cloud nine. I was just so stoked to be able to share that whole experience. Oh my with god, her. dude! Like not just that the tube, but just being there. Like yeah. Kelly was there. Um, like man, like so many cool people were there. Um, but just for Gypsy to kind of get brought into that world yeah, because, yeah. like, all my life, like I've been in that world from the ASP, the magazines. Yeah. Which I didn't have my daughter, so for me to like experience bring her time. to something that was super special for me, but for her to experience yeah. as a surfer and feel it, yeah. like, oh, that's that was rad. So cool. Yeah, so that was cool. So like, but up until that, the only time I'd ever been in a wave pool was the um, Typhoon Lagoon at yeah. Expo. Yeah. And that was fun. Fun, like, <laughs> until you saw all these new pools, and you're yeah. like, yeah, that's, yeah, it's old tech right Come there. Come on, Kalani to invite you yet? No, I haven't seen Kalani in years. I hope he invites me if you listen to me. Yeah, Kalani, <laughs> we're dodging us, bro. We need to do this uh, podcast yep. at location. Yeah, let's see how an MF board works there, not just these catch surf ones. Come on, mate. <laughs> Equal opportunity. Exactly. Oh, <laughs> so, um, I mean, you're just doing MF and you're you're doing... And surf the surfboard agency brands. Surf, yeah, yeah. agencies. And then you're doing surf lessons too? Or I mean, I've been fortunate living up in LA. I get to do some private lessons with yeah. some people that are like all turned into good friends and introduce me to their friends. That's and it's cool. like, 
it's super fun. Like I never thought of myself being a guy who would teach surfing to anyone, especially for money. Cause it's like, I want to do that for free all day long, but I've gained some friendships with people that are yeah. like trusting me to kind of not just take them, but their families and kind of guide them through the surfing. Kind yeah. of. I mean, if they have the means and to get somebody that could like help improve and I mean, surfing is when you're learning, it's all about catching the wave and position, you know, like it's so you're lost out there, you yeah. know, and if you could just help them like just get that positioning and just be able to get waves. I mean, that's yeah. And that's honestly, I, I feel like a lot of it up in L.A. is helping them have a surfing experience where they don't get hurt because there's so many other people out there that are going <laughs> to be dangerous. Yeah. So it's like if you can help them see the dangers and avoid them uh, straight away, they're on the right track yeah. and then they're going to want to keep doing it. But like you see so many people walk down the beach, go to the wrong place with the wrong board, have the wrong experience. And then that's the end of it. And like yeah. that breaks my heart. Like yeah. I got lucky to have nothing but a good life. Thanks to surfing. Whoever I can help. Yeah. Surf and enjoy it, please. And honestly, like if you can make some money on it too, I mean, why not, right? Yeah. If you're not, if you're helping people and giving people a great experience. Yeah. I mean, I'm grateful for the money for sure, but it's like, it's never been about that. Yeah, like for yeah. me, it's like every job I've ever had, I would have paid to do yeah. the job. Well, we're, we're stoked because, you know, we see last, was it last year or the year before, saw Duma out there with his crew of dudes that he was, you know. Yeah, Duma lives coaching. up in Topanga too. And then um, saw Stedman, yeah. Luke Stedman, um, maybe towards the end of last summer too. Yeah, so, they're on the MF boards. They know what yeah, works. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, it's just it's just good that you could you know have fun. Help I mean, people, it's all like I said. It, hey, it, speaking of MF, you Jesse Fain is graciously donating a board for one of our listeners to win. So yes, this is a, uh, tell us what you, you're, uh, donating for the, well, I brought that catfish model thinking you guys would write it, but it might be a little bigger than you guys want. So whether we donate that one or we just figure out a winner and see what's the right one for them, we can swap that out for, so give us the specs on this. Well, that one is a 510. I mean, the beauty of the MF boards is they're all performance design. Yeah boards Soft like eps a little bit of a eps course i mean it's no different than your high performance board just wrapped in soft technology so they all come with future fin boxes or fcs2 so they come with free soft fins so any kid or person learning to surf is going to feel safe with the way the board feels and the way the fins are but then you put in regular fins and they function like a good board what's the retail uh, what's the cost retail on this on that one it's mm-hmm. just under 400 wow so you're donating a free $400 Mick Fanning softboard. Man, if that helps get another person stoked, man, that's yeah, the least I can do. Yes. All right. Hear that, gonna listeners? Be, we're going to be uh, coming up with some kind of way to win this board. So, um, so I mean, I think we've gone through a lot of questions. I, I mean, you've been gracious <laughs> enough to hang out with us for, for so long. But um, outside of Chile... And going back to Nairobi in your home, where would you hop on a plane right now to go surf? Anywhere. Anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's so many places that I've been that I wish I could go back to and places I haven't been that I want to go. I mean, I've never been to the Mentawis, never done a boat wow. trip there. Um, so that's high up there. I really want to surf Sri Lanka, India. I yeah. want to go. I'd love to get waves in Russia. Like I want to kite surf lakes and rivers and places where there's wind and water all yeah. over the world like 
I'm just a big kid. Like I'm, I'm consciously choosing not wanting to get older yeah. by playing more and more the older I get. So yeah. like yeah. anywhere I can go play, please. Like I was in Japan last year doing a electric foil. I was working with Lyft and they make those e-foils and the most random thing that's come my way in my career, Disney that run like Disneyland and Disney Tokyo yeah. flew me over to Denmark? Tokyo. No, to Tokyo to do a demonstration on an electric foil board in their theme park at like five in the morning. And so I'm over there with this electric foil board in the waterways of their park with no one else there, just like showing him how to ride this thing. And then after that, I got to go to the beach in Shiva and I ended up getting a foil with my friend over there and then got met up with some kite crew and got to kite surf. Like, Sick. I mean, stuff yeah. like that. Like I'll go anywhere because there's fun to be had everywhere. Yeah, I hear you on that. Let's get out of here. It's Go. crazy to think we can't travel. Like that's what blows my mind. Like I just was reading Qantas isn't letting people fly to Australia probably for the next year now. Oh. I can't go to Chile. It's locked it's, down. So it's like, I mean, it's a world, weird world we're in right now. Yeah. Like for all of us that have been fortunate to travel, like I think of the people who are just like finishing school, about to go on their big trips and yeah. do stuff. It's like, man. It's been tough. It's, that's tough. And it would have been nice to have been able to do some traveling on this like downtime. But you know, you can't. You know, I was speaking to like one of the guys when I was at VSTR that I was able to sponsor, which like I love him. It's Kepa Acera. And I don't know if you guys know who Kepa is. You probably know Aniko Acera, yeah. his older brother. Yeah. But Kepa was one of the writers on VSTR for us, but he's just such an epic guy. And when I heard what was going on in Europe, I just like FaceTimed Kepa because like they were like on full lockdown. Like he was in an apartment where he could on his roof, see the beach, but not able to leave for months. I think oh it was like gosh. a long time. And, um, yeah, just like so many people around the world have like, just there, this is just such a ridiculously weird year. So yeah. weird. It's so like crazy for all of us gypsies who yeah. like naturally yeah. want to travel. And yeah, we've had to postpone two trips to Hawaii and we're hoping to go in August. Like it's like, but you can go to Hawaii, right? You just have to quarantine yeah. when you get there. Yeah. So you have to stay longer, which yeah. ain't a bad thing. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you can go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't know, man. I'd go anywhere. Like, I wish yeah. I could go somewhere. Not that I don't like being here, but there's just so many beautiful places to go that yeah. I want to get to see. Well, now you get to share with your daughter and go show her the world. You know? Yeah. That's been the greatest joy in my life. Like, I remember the, I took her when she turned four to Hawaii. And that was like hands down the best surf trip I'd ever been on. Like yeah. staying in Hawaii, I was meant to be there a week. We stayed two weeks and like ended up just like surfing on the North shore and town and just like, just seeing her eyes just like light up with like literally rainbows in the sky and turtles popping up everywhere. It's oh, just so like, awesome. and since then, like I said, she surfed all over the world now. Like, yeah. Amazing. Well, besides, uh, fannings boards, MF softboards, what other things would you like to promote? Um, oh man, anything. I mean, like I was talking about with Gary Siska, like he's at Right Engine now, which is a, um, like a company in the kite world, but also doing like foils and boards for that world. I mean, so I'm stoked on all that gear. Like he's been hooking me up. So yeah. like, I'm right be, world. No, it's Right Engine. Oh, Right Engine. Yeah. So a guy called Coleman Buckley started up in Santa Cruz making these customized harnesses to kite in, but now the brand's evolved. It's owned by Slingshot and they're adding a lot more categories to it. But, um, I mean, I don't work for him, but like, I'm lucky to have Gary as my yeah. friend and he's like giving Good me some out. stuff to keep helping me kind yeah. of stay stoked in that world. So like foiling and nice. kiting and stuff like that. But I mean, we're so lucky. We know so many people in the industry and yeah. like, 
Yeah. I don't have to very often dig into my limited funds to buy product for what I love to do. People Trust keep me, me doing we, it. We try to squeeze uh, our friends for whatever we but need. But that's, I mean, that's what it is. I mean, we're not in this industry to be, you know, millionaires, although it's, you know, we got to provide and it'd be nice to make a lot of money. But, you know, it's all about, yeah. you know, having fun and, and living out of passion and, and you know, it trade. Yeah, I mean, I love that about our industry, like, and people outside it maybe don't understand it, but like we, I know I've got the back of anyone in this industry to help them if I can, if they call me and I can do anything to help them, I'm not looking for money in return. I just want like, how do I help? Because people have helped me my whole career and, and usually that's through product. Like we give, we want to share it like back to your question about like which product it's like, there's so many talented people in our industry making so many good things. Like whether it's new wetsuits, new board designs, whether uh, it's we're like in the best age right now for surf design and materials yeah, and everything. There's I mean, so like when I, we were younger, it was like everyone had it. It was like pretty small kind of parameters yeah. of what the product range was. Yeah. Now it's like, it's anything and everything yeah. and it just keeps getting better. So like I just, every day I get inspired, whether it's on Instagram or like if I see a company's ad, like I'm not, I've never been a like, what am I trying to say? Like a um, materialistic person. Like I don't consume, like I'm not out there wanting to shop, yeah. but I want to use everything. I yeah. want to try every toy, yeah, for sure. like whether it's lit, whether it's 10 years old or whether it's brand new, I just want to try new things and get a stoke and feel so something. All you companies out there could have send Jesse, whatever you want, because he'll be so stoked. <laughs> you know what? Like I, I'm lucky. A lot of people send me stuff, but yeah. like I never expect it. And I always appreciate yeah. it. And I don't even care if it's new or used. Like I just, I want to try new things. Cause that if I feel something and learn something, then it's like, I can pass that along that knowledge. Yeah. That's, what were those uh, resorts? I mean, once people start traveling, what, what resorts? Well, I was working with a resort called Malibu. Papoya down in Nicaragua and that place was awesome I got to go down there last year with um, Matt Griggs and Taylor Knox on this like meditation um, surf retreat which was amazing that was a super cool week Um, I was working for one in El Salvador before that um, which I'm not part of now but the one in uh, Nicaragua like I man I I just feel for those places because like tourism is completely over right now so they're all just like they're, they're enjoying paradise without the crowd, that's for sure, but yeah. they can't get people and they can't leave. Yeah. Oh, come on. Open this place up. Well, let's leave this thing on a positive note. Yeah. It's been three hours. Really? Yeah. Wow, man. It's quick. <laughs> it's quick. Happy days. Yeah. But um, any words of uh, wisdom or advice for our, our, our listeners? Be cool. Stay stoked. Yeah, don't be a kook, man. Don't there's, be a kook. There's too many kooks out there. But... Yeah, I don't know, man. Like my life is just being fortunate to just follow your passion. Yeah, take risk. You know, don't be don't be conservative. That's mine. Well, it's not about me though. It's about Jesse. <laughs> Jesse Fain. Um, <laughs> it's funny when when you were saying that, like you you take risks. But um, earlier when we were talking, it was like you've never really applied for a job, right? Like everything kind of came to you which is not a bad thing and the only reason why things came to you is because you've proven yourself and before and that's why people you know gravitate to you and they want something cool and they want somebody they want somebody cool going back to being cool yeah they want somebody (laughs) i think you just gotta like a lot of people get stuck in the decision of whether to try doing something that might you might fail at yeah. And I just, from the early age, was 
whether it was naivety, whether it was a bit of stupidity, whether it was just like whatever, I just said yes. Yeah. And because I had a couple of things, and I'm sure those lessons were learned at the beach. Like I, I tried hard enough to learn how to make a drop. And then once I knew I could make a drop, I was going to take off on the next bigger wave. Like, yeah. so like, it's the same theory. Like, and that's what I say to my daughter all the Push time. And challenge yourself. If you're like challenging yourself and you're gaining confidence because you're getting ahead by doing something that was really hard. Like my daughter used to cry when she'd try to put a wetsuit that was tied over her head and like, it would be super hard for her. And now she like does that with her eyes closed, happy because she knows she's going to be out there having a good time. And yeah. it's like, we, we have to learn incrementally how to walk and run and yeah, all these things. Steps. Exactly. But like yeah. for anyone trying to figure out a career, it's just like, what makes you happy? Do that. Surround yourself with people that do that better than you. And then sure enough, you're going to become friends with those people and a job opportunity is going to pop up. Yeah. If you're lucky. I mean, and it's yeah. definitely some luck, but it's, you got to put yourself in the position to be lucky. Yeah. You got to create luck. Yeah. And timing. Yeah. It's like people, when you're teaching to surf, it's like, you don't just sit there waiting for that perfect wave to come Chase to you and, and no one else is going to paddle for you. You got to be looking for it. Yeah. And you know what to make it for. happen. That little bump about 30 seconds out, it's going to land 20 feet over there. Not right here. Yeah. How do you know that? It's, you know, it's experience. Yeah. Put exactly. yourself out there. And it's funny when you like talk to people about jobs and stuff and they're like, well, what makes you have a sense of this? Like, well, how about 30 years of all this to have a perspective? Like, yeah. I didn't know this 30 years ago, but I've done a million things that aren't this, but it's led me to be able to see this better. Yeah. Yeah. And that's all it is. It's like stepping stones from one thing to the other. It doesn't matter if it's like a part-time job at a surf shop or running yeah. a company. It's like you're having to figure out things and yeah. you learn from each one. Yeah, yeah, I like it. Well, Positive. She Good Thank vibes. you so much. What a great freaking interview. interview. Great, all, great human. So many great stories. It's Thank you all guys. Really positive. Dude, I'm just stoked to be a part of it because like I've been so stoked listening to some of the stories of the other guys on this recently, and it's and like a crazy amount of amazing people and stories, and yeah. that's, we're just we're just here yeah. to. I you hope know, someone wants together. to listen to half of what I had to say, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like I've been loving listening to the other guys. Like, yeah. I don't know Ben Graven. I love that podcast. And yeah. Ty's a huge friend of mine. And yeah. I loved hearing that. And Bob McKnight's nothing but like a guy who's paved all of our opportunities. Yeah, so like, sure. I'm yeah. just stoked to be in this industry. So however yeah. I get to keep doing it and helping others, stoked. Cool. Well, Jesse Fain, thanks for sharing your stories. You're part of an elite group of the Late Night with Chalky podcast alumni. Yes. Um, hopefully we'll uh, sit down again soon. Um, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you, bud. Let's surf next time. Peace. Yeah, fix yourself. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please give us a five-star rating and spread the word. Special thanks to our good friends, James Williams for our awesome artwork and Justin Reynolds for the amazing music.